Isn't it strange? Feels like I I'm mean... looking in a mirror. What would people say? <laughs> if only they knew that I was part of some geneticist plan. Born to be a carbon copy man. There in a petri dish late one night, they took a donor's body cell and fertilized a human egg. And so I say, I think I'm a clone now. There's always two of me just to hanging around. I think I'm a clone now, a clone now, because every chromosome is a hand-me-down. That's I how that book starts, were... essentially. <laughs> yeah, I wondered I wondered what you were going to use for this, and I'm so glad it's I think I'm a clone now. What's up, everybody? Oh, yes. It's the On Air Book Fair podcast. I'm Jay. I'm Miles. I'm Daniel. And this week we're hitting uh, the, oh damn, Nancy Farmer award-winning mm-hmm. fucking children's classic, House of the Scorpion. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing those awards. Ooh, I'm smelling them. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it there's there's a reason it won the National Book Award and was a Newbery honor. I got this one at the library. I got it physically. It's all beat up. I'm like, yeah, this is this is authentic now. Mine is in remarkably good condition given the fact that I've had it since I was 8 years old. You know, I uh so the cover of it is this like red red and black silhouette of a scorpion. And my I had it at work, my coworker. He's from Arizona, and he saw the cover, and he was like, "Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, fucking scorpions!" He just doesn't <laughs> like looking at them. You and know, you know what? Fair. That's fair. Living in a place now that has scorpions, um, yeah, it it fucking sucks. <laughs> but oh my god, it! I am so glad. Re- like reading this book, I was a little bit nervous approaching this book because I was like, "Oh no, what if, what if this is a book that I loved as a kid?" That's actually not that great reading it now. And holy fuck, is it still real good. It's so good. I'm like, I wish I had read this as a kid. I I don't have the old copy that you guys have. I have the blue scorpion copy. Um, oh. It's a paperback that I actually bought at a Scholastic book fair. Ooh, in that, that's like what the, I don't know. It seems like what the sequel cover would be. And then the third one yeah. is a green scorpion. <laughs> right. This was while no. I was working in a middle school setting. So for the record, Miles, your teacher was very wrong. This book Absolutely. is typically taught to 7th to ninth graders. Oh, it's straight, it's, it's taught to them? Yes, Fantastic. it is used in their units. It's a really good book for a unit because you can talk about a lot of different themes and like... I don't think we're going to be able to adequately discuss all of them, even with three episodes. I, want, yeah. I, want, I would love to, sit, I'd love to sit in on, like, a kid's uh, dissection of this. And they're like, so, you guys know what opium is. And they're like, yeah, but, like, why didn't anyone call the police if they're growing drugs? I was just... Yeah. That, that's what made me think of. Man, you know how, like, you read something with a really, like, elaborate depiction of food, and you're like, that sounds pretty good. Reading through this book, I was like, damn, I want some opium now. <laughs> it's, it's something all right it's yeah, and it's this heavy this material is like to, it's like the fact that we went from magic treehouse to this not to knock magic treehouse but oh. we have jumped several levels oh yeah Ma- magic treehouse i i feel like we may have been a little bit harsh about magic treehouse just because we were starting to feel a little bit like a little bit like frustrated um, right, we wanted good but, books. Yeah, they were good books when I was a kid. And but like, they're yeah. Duplo blocks, and with this one, we can sink into a real good Lego set. They're really, they're really good kid adventure books. They're mm-hmm. they're very good for that. And I do have 
distinctly fond memories of reading the like a uh, little afterwards uh, by I can't remember her name now the whoever wrote it um, Mary um, Pope Osborne Mary Pope Osborne thank you I I have distinctly positive memories of reading the afterwards by her where she does those like little like fact checks and stuff and it was fun but this is this is absolutely a whole like extra level this is so good yeah um and oh man yeah so so we're gonna probably talk a lot about this book in this and the next two episodes um my girlfriend literally was like don't do this podcast for four hours tonight please you have yeah. work tomorrow and i'm like oh but this one is like pretty serious yeah, yeah i mean how are we i don't know i could um, talk all oh. night i have a snow day tomorrow nice uh i also I, realized I mean, where do you this... start with a book like this at the beginning with a, yeah. a cow uterus? Yeah, like any good I... story, it starts with a cow's uterus. I I realized that this January is also kind of... It, it may end up becoming the month of Latin characters that really resonate with uh, parts of my psyche. Because, like, I'm coming fresh off of Encanto, too, which, oh, just... like specifically the line uh who am i like who am i if i can't handle it all what's my like if i can't if i can't take it essentially what's my worth uh yeah that pressure song that one hit me mm -hmm. too i was like oh no feelings and it's like oh okay all right and this book has a line that jesus christ hit me so it's hit me so hard it's why i started making little bookmarks in here like i started making more bookmarks in here once it came around and went back and reread the first like 50 pages or so so that i could like re-mark things because i needed to make sure i made i marked this spot um but we'll get to it we'll get to it um but yeah this book starts with a geneticist a a clone technician he's working and really like carefully monitoring uh skin cells that are beginning to divide and uh become clones essentially implanting like, them thank as god embryos. this one's thank god this yeah. one's working if i didn't if this one wasn't gonna work i might get executed not executed specifically sent to the farms uh mm -hmm. and as we learn later it might it it's arguably better to have been executed um yeah. yeah but so that threat constantly exists of being sent to the farms and you know they implant these clone embryos into uh, docile cows that have implants in their heads to keep them just constantly happy and totally cool with the situation micro microchips yeah yes. uh they're called brood cows specifically but yeah there's a lot of microchipping of brains in this book which is really interesting because it has this fantastic mix of aesthetics between like old uh american southwest slash mexico and straight up futuristic technology mm -hmm. it's it's really cool and i love the explanation for why that is but um but yeah, he's going through this process and he's obsessing over it because only one of these embryos is actually taking. Um, and if he's not successful, he's he's just going to get sent to the farms and his family is going to be left without him and have to wander the fucking wastes. Um, but one takes and he is about to put a microchip in its brain to 
or not put a microchip in his brain, inject it to destroy its brain. On some real Aldous and, Huxley shit, we're having you know yeah. sub epsilon clone brain destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and he stopped and told, "No, that's a Matteo Alacran. You do not do that. Not with this one. This one is uh, going to be on the alpha level." And it, he specifically remarks, "Did I do you a favor? Will you thank me for it later?" So that's how this book starts. Um. It's- it's a heavy start. It comes it comes it's out a, swinging. It's a heavy book. It's a deeply sad book. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that I'm surprised that, like, I'm surprised my mom let me read it as early as I did. <laughs> but, like, I had also just read The Giver, which oh, okay. is also deeply sad. I was getting Giver vibes from this because it you know, spark some of the same ethical conversations we had in my my seventh grade class when we read The Giver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. So 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 we're following we're following this boy Matteo Alacran, um, and he's, he lives he's a little this... isolated. Uh, don't leave the house ever. Sheltered boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not allowed to leave the house. The windows are nailed shut. Um, and it's it's an extremely sheltered life. He, you know, watches things on TV. He uh, gets told stories by his not mother Celia. She's like, I'm not your mom. Don't call me that, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and fuck, like, I love, I love so many of the characters' interactions with Matt. But Celia is incredible. Celia is such an interestingly written character because the whole reason she doesn't want him to call her his mom is because she knows he's being raised to die and like born to die world is a fuck yeah he's he's he was he was made to die and she doesn't want him to call him to call her his mom because she doesn't want to get attached right i can't love you i didn't i didn't know that's what yeah oh yeah they they talk a little bit later about like there's a bit of conversation later between uh el patron and uh mcgregor about Oh, fetal brain implants and stuff. And like, oh, I can't use whatever. And like, they go and see McGregor's clone. And like, yeah, I went in for a new liver and a new set of kidneys. Oh, 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 I see now. Sorry, I, sorry, I (laughs) didn't. Okay, sorry. Oh, you didn't pick up on that? I I didn't. Somehow I didn't realize that's what they were for. I thought he was raising an heir. Because he want he would, could never pass it on to someone else. He would want yeah, to pass on his empire to himself. There's a little bit of that, I think, in part of why he doesn't want uh, the brain destroyed. We'll talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's uh, like in later episodes, because they they do talk about it a bit. But like, there's a little bit of that, and also just like, I don't remember if it's explicitly said, but I also always got the impression that El Patron wanted a version of himself that was raised right right almost like getting and boy does he not get that in like the first arc of this book yeah um oh he also has a tattoo on the bottom of his right foot that says property of the alacran estate um which he just thought that everyone had yeah everyone has a little a little stamp of ownership on their foot yeah, some some people, you know, their parents write their name in the back of their shirt or something like that. Some people they tattoo it on their kid's foot. 
you know, maybe they had yeah. Toy Story in, and that's like as a kid <laughs> with growing up with an with your your ownership tattooed on your foot. They just have you watch Toy Story, and you're like, oh, even the toys do that. Everyone has that. So it's just a normal thing. He wouldn't have watched Toy Story um, for a very specific reason. Um, it's more obvious if you like. It's more obvious if you were aware of like when the media he's talking about, like the black whip and the black whip and the flying priest and that um, when those were airing. But that's old media, um, especially for the time that he's uh, in. It is old they, media. But it's the so, it's the it's some sort of technology future. They've got hovercrafts yeah. and stuff. I figure they just yes. like you know so kept him on uh, you know classic analog media the radio yeah. and stuff he's on old media for a reason um ah. there there is a reason for it and i'm so, sure so that you never learn about clones a clone is never like a plot point or a character in a fucking telenovela i mean i'm sure that's part of it but also i mean evil twins are frequently characters in telenovelas <laughs> but yeah um that's definitely a part of it um but yeah, so he's going around and Celia leaves him for hours and hours on end to go and work in the big house while he looks outside and he can't he can't bear to look at the poppies because they're so brilliant white and like can't can't bear to look at them because they just reflect so much sunlight. And that yeah, makes that sense for a child who never goes outside. Oh, because um, this glorious little college uh, college cottage is um just an island in a massive sea of poppy fields. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um uh, in in the country of opium uh it's a country that's like carved out from northern mexico and a bit of the southwestern united states and it is just forming this like borderline between the u.s and mexico that is just a giant drug farm well multiple giant drug farms all under the head of this guy el Patron. um he is the not even de facto he is the explicit leader of this country um, which they talk. This is a like an good... emperor thing, you know. I yeah. think he's yes, emperor. very much so. Mm -hmm. Very much emperor. Um, like a bit of the Godfather, a bit of yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's some interesting political ap uh, implications of that that they talk about a little bit. But um, yeah. Uh, so he's he's raised in that, and then eventually some kids show up and they see him through the window. Uh, and he's I like, I told you really there was excited. a little man in the house. I have seen yeah. him with my binoculars at the window. Yeah, and they they bring they bring another little girl with them the next day. And Celia tells uh, tells Matt about a lot of the kids and like. Uh, so there is uh, Benito, Stephen, Tom, the three Alacran boys, uh, from oldest to youngest, and then there's Amelia and Maria um, Alvarez. And they're children of a U.S. Were, senator. I thought they were um, Mendoza. Yeah, Mendoza. You're Mendoza. right. Mendoza. I was say Mendoza. Yeah, Mendoza. Fat dog Sorry, Mendoza. I'm not, I'm Put not the looking at the. Uh, I'm not looking at the character list right now, which would have been useful. <laughs> yeah, I always good to have. I referred, um, I referred to it a couple times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, Did, that character list. I I didn't. Um, I couldn't remember if you told me not I said, to look at the family tree or the character list, so I opted for neither. I said technically both, unless you have to, um, largely just to preserve the uh, little bit of reveal with Tom later on. Right. 
Um, but also because the character list includes characters from <laughs> the rest of the fucking book. Oh. <laughs> like, the last third of the book, those characters are just right next to other characters from the rest of the book. Um, but, eh. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really interesting, and they show up, and Matt just, like, can't get the doors open, he can't do anything, so he smashes the window out with a pot. I know what I'll do. Yeah, and jumps out and immediately lands on broken glass and cuts and his feet up horribly. slices his shit, front to back. Yeah, just absolutely decimates his feet. And, and he's bleeding, he's passing out, and the other kids are like, oh shit, oh, we gotta yeah. take him back to the house and get a doctor. Yeah, and, and so far... All these kids have been, like, really cool to him. Like, Stephen especially, and, like, a bit Maria because she's interested, but Stephen has especially been, like, really interesting and mm -hmm. level-headed, and Celia has even talked about how Stephen is, like, a good level-headed kid. Like, he's he's the one good Alacran boy. And then they take him to the big house, and he starts to get seen by the doctor and the uh oh no not the doctor yet the uh, maids yeah yeah rosa and and they discover the tattoo and realize what he is and everyone immediately turns on him the like the absolute breakneck pace of that flip for those characters was just really cool and interesting especially mm -hmm. steven because Oh, he's Andy's toy. We're not. Because, we don't even care about this shit anymore. Because so far they've done a really good job of showing how okay, like these kids are kids, but they do seem to like really want to make sure he's doing okay. And Stephen like bristles at his dad yelling at him for bringing Matt into the house, and then oh, oh, I brought a clone into the house, <laughs> and they're kind of just like, oh, I can't believe I touched it. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, like immediately start calling him it, and like telling maria that a clone is a bad animal a clone is like a beast it's a bad animal and you know what honestly from their perspective i understand that it's shitty but from their perspective i understand that because one of the few things they would know about it is like oh yeah clones are just clone, clones are just you know they're they're bits they're bits of people that are grown inside uh, inside uh cows and like any they're, clone they're they may have they're gross and any clone they may have encountered in their life is, you know, a sub-epsilon brained... Yeah. Amelia yeah. even you know, says, you know, uh, they... Invalid. They yeah. yeah. I was trying to find a good word for it. Invalid, I guess. Yeah. Amelia mm -hmm. even says, you know, they, they mess their pants and, you know, they can't speak. Yeah. And as we discover later, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do. But, yeah. But so Matt is taken into this room by himself... Um, seen to the doctor briefly, or seen to by the doctor briefly, and then thrown in this room by uh, this maid Rosa, who just like leaves him there. She's just the worst. You get that she is, pretty easy she as is, a kid reading this. She's just the worst. She is absolutely the worst. She was like, she's like cartoonishly evil, but like trunchbull levels of evil. Just yeah. abusive and is like keeping him in like a prison and. Mm -hmm. just like uh, beating him whenever he talks or anything so we this is the trauma arc right now mm -hmm. for Mateo. yeah the, is, the only one the only one he's on some um, real child called it shit right now yes literally he's literally a child called it yes um and you know what i i will i will say this from 
uh, Rosa's point of view. I hate her, but I will say this for her. From her perspective, she has been thrust into this role of caring for this, like, animal that isn't, that is barely worth keeping alive. And if it dies, she gets, she's done. But if it survives, she has to deal with it forever and gets treated like shit from everyone else because she's the one who's in contact with it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a shitty place to be for someone who is o- as overworked as any sort of s- house staff for this family. But also, even outside of that, she's an absolute context. horrendous piece of shit. But Rosa, uh, she just she's the absolute fucking worst. Like yeah. from worst. from her deeply the problem is it's not an uninformed point of view the problem is it is an informed point of view matt is the exception it's a shitty awful point of view but it's he's the only like unadulterated clone in existence so if all you've ever known of clones is that they're these uh ugnaughts then you could be like well why is there a kid of one of these oh my god get it like put it back in the factory why yeah. is this my job now? I have so much other stuff to do. Yeah. So and... I'm I'm gonna Go veer us off of off of topic for a moment because I think this is a good moment to talk about whether we consider clones human because that's a huge uh, question yeah. in this book and it's a it's an enormous thing. It yes, is. I do because functionally it's no different than an identical twin of another person and clearly he's you know. He demonstrates all the qualities of a human, and even mm-hmm. I, I guess maybe it's, you know, I, I've worked with kids in all, in various, um, I guess, kids with various cognitive differences, and you know, they're still people. Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would not make an argument whatsoever that that Matt is not a person and the traditional mm-hmm. clone is not a person. Uh, where I think the line gets slightly fuzzier for me is with the traditional clones in like all of the other clones that would exist in this world in that they're not like i i i think there's an enormous gulf between them and between like people with cognitive difficulties these are effectively person-sized fetuses yeah and yeah something that like man hath created something that we have no reference point for for like you know some person who in real life who for whatever reason like their brain works in you know a way that we would find socially maladaptive or like something extra to you know coordinate into a normal lifestyle but these are specifically people who have been mentally mutilated from the day they're born um so and the other question about the about like is a clone a person is when it comes down to methodology but that's also a huge gray zone like the methodology of conception because tons of like in the real world in real life there's like a bunch of people that are in vitro fertilizations and test two babies and are in like surrogate wombs um sooner or later there's gonna be like an artificial womb that can just be like you know it'll be made out of weird polymer things mm-hmm. but if some you know if a fetus is gestated in there I think something's going to be different about that person fundamentally. Um, there's there's a like, definite possibility with that, but that's not no rights, you know. Yeah, yeah. I it's... I also wouldn't say that. Like, I guess where it comes down to is distinguishing between human and person. Like, ah, I would still I would still even then consider the clones that we see that are the non-mat clones 
they are still humans, but they are humans that have had their personhood taken from them. Mm-hmm. Grizzly. I would not call them person. I, I would not call them people, but I would call them technically human. Uh, um, there, there's also just the Turing test with this. Like, if you can't tell, if you have to be told it's a clone in Matt's case, because yeah, you can't distinguish it for them. Excuse me, from a normal human, then you know, by all means, it quacks yeah. like a they quack like a duck. That's that's a that's a definite that's a definite big one. Yeah, if you if you have to be told that they're a clone does it even matter and like realistically from a from a like philosophical standpoint i would argue that tom is less of a human than matt is oh my God. Yeah. I, I mean yeah Th- some of these kids are real little rich little sociopaths and yeah tom more so than any of the others um although there are some troubling things said about benito uh but yeah no i oh man but yeah, so um, from her, from, uh, from this, Rosa's like to... perspective, uh, clones are not people. They are alive, but they are not people, which kind of explains a bit of where she's coming from, but definitely does not excuse it whatsoever. No. And I think maybe part oh, of it... Oh, but she fucking gets it. She gets hers. Yeah. Oh, boy. I, um, she does. She we'll get it. to it, but... But um, uh, I think this another is, thing so is... So we see Rosa. We see Rosa mm-hmm. again. We oh, can... no shit. Yeah, I figured that would come back around. Oh, boy. I know exactly um, the uh, plot twist that's going to be. I think another factor in her and everyone else's mindset and their reaction to the clones is, like, there is something inherently creepy and disturbing about what's being done to these clones. And, like, it's part of it's part of their social order. They're not going to question it, but, like, they... I almost want to say deep down they know it's wrong in some way, and this is a way of dealing with having that mm-hmm. shit be part of your everyday life. Like, knowing yeah. that that exists and having to just live with that. Like, of course, you are like, oh, that's disgusting. You know, the existential, dis- the existential disgust about clones, like, also manifests this social stigma. Like, people don't like you if you're associated with clones. That's why, like, Rose is especially just like, and now I'm the weird one, and now I'm the weird one, because I mm-hmm. have to take care of the clone, and and everyone's being shitty at me now, just because I associate with it. Christ. Mm-hmm. It's, so there's... Everyone is uh, mutually reinforcing the mm-hmm. othering of clones by, you know, making it a social stigma to even associate with them. Yeah. They're Maria self-reinforcing even... it. Maria even does so uh, later on whenever they go to the hospital and see the other clone. Maria straight up says, don't touch, like, says to Matt, don't touch me. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. Let me, get me out of here. I don't want to think about it. And it's like, oh, yeah, because you know that, like, Matt has that bit of, like, well, I'm different from it. But, like, he is and he isn't. Yeah. Functionally, in the short term, he is very different. In the long term, he is no different. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, and it's it, there's also like uh, a weird power dynamic of having a clone of the most powerful person in this country going around, because, you know, in theory, does that clone eventually become your boss? Like that's, where that's actually at, really interesting. Like the highest social strata is now like linked to the lowest social strata mm-hmm. this is like mm-hmm. the lowliest being for these people but like it's a clone of the highest like most your re- high your revered holy emperor 
So you can't really shit talk it. I mean, at least once once they find out that you have to be nice to this clone, they uh, yeah. people start treating him a little differently. But like, yeah, just this insane like massive bridge across class. Yeah, and I'll even say uh, another thing with Celia. This is something I didn't understand as a kid because I didn't know Spanish and I didn't understand what mi vida meant. Oh, I I just yeah. thought it was a like a term of endearment, but it does also literally mean my life. And that is not just a term of endearment. If Celia lets him die, she is dead. He is the reason she is alive. Meanwhile, I mean, he's uh he is yeah, literally put he, into a chicken coop. Yeah, he is he is a he is a king of uh chicken bones and gristle with this big ass bit of sawdust of like a giant sandbox of sawdust. Yeah, at some point they get him out of a shed and they like arrange a pen for him to just like live in, you know, chicken scratch sawdust. And they're like, and Rose well, is like, the yeah, same all the room. falls to the oh, the same room. Yeah, Rose it's the is same like, room. yeah, this they is build a keep... small barrier around the door and she like picks him up and holds him, uh, uh, and like holds him still while they take a bunch of wheelbarrow fulls of sawdust and just dump it in that room. Yep. And they're like, so yeah, this is how we eat. keep chickens. All of their filth and detritus and poop uh, just falls underneath the sawdust, and they stand on top of it. It's really easy. What could possibly yeah. go wrong? And he get, and, and he starts getting feral. Yeah, he he does. He is like fully nonverbal and like, oh, there's just so much interesting to it. And he's hiding and collecting his little treasures. He's like fermenting old fruits and like collecting rotten bones and chicken scraps and like he's learning the patterns of ants and roaches all over this little nightmarish inhuman child prison it's absolute like death camp that they've put this child in yeah and it's there's such a weird brutal efficiency to rosa's thought process on putting him in uh chicken litter Mm -hmm. like it makes a certain degree of sense she doesn't have to worry about making sure that like his cut stays clean and shit and like especially with the doctor away but also it, that that's a that's a human person that's a human person not to them not uh, to them no not, not to, to them. her and like crazy at one mm. point tom comes by he recognizes tom from the stories and tom comes by and just shoots him with a pea shooter a bunch and leaves a bunch of welts on his body and like oh we also didn't talk about how uh his first night in that room maria oh, came by and stayed right. with him when they and they just like talked about they, ghost stories and shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're talking oh. about the chupacabra. Man, when I saw yeah. like and in La the opening and La uh, mm-hmm. in the opening glossary, when I saw like they explained what the chupacabra was at the very beginning of the book, like in characters in the character section, they describe a chupacabra, and I'm like, all right, here we go. Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, I oh man, it's so interesting too because later on he as a kid is like hearing this story about uh el patron's siblings dying from typhus and he assumes typhus is a monster that like took his uh took those kids away and killed them it's like i mean i guess yeah, to I a certain degree typhus a fight, is a chupacabra monster or typhus <laughs> i don't know has chupacabra been vaccinated <laughs> <laughs> no chupacabra is as any uh, desert as any blood-sucking desert monster the chupacabra is extremely anti-vax they're on the let's go brandon train 
happy. I, I really like this scene where, like, his first night there, because Maria's too little to know the whole stigma against... I mean, she's heard it, but she doesn't know what it means, this whole stigma against mm-hmm. clones. And so she's the first person outside of Celia to actually treat him like a person and listen to him and talk with him, even if he scares her to death with all these creepy stories. Mm-hmm. And And even then, she does, to a certain degree talk to him like he's an animal yeah she 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 definitely treats him like an animal the number of times that's fair even then but the number of times later that she compares him to her dog yeah is really fucked because like she is the object of his affections in some pretty shitty ways at times like a child like a child because through the point that we read tonight, he is still nine years old. And like, okay, he's he's nine. That's not an excuse, but it is an explanation. Because mm-hmm. he's a nine-year-old, nine and nine-year-olds don't always understand things like boundaries. A nine-year-old who's never actually had any friends. Yeah, a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old who's nine-year-old never who's had never any met. friends. A nine-year-old who only knows one woman. And who also, like... All of the people around them are shitty rich people who are constantly, like, sneaking around and backstabbing each other. Conniving sociopaths yeah. and sadists. Yep. Um, but, yeah. But so, so the most of... uh, conniving sociopath and sadist is Tom, who uh, is, you know, pinging him with a BB gun, but he's got a projectile of his own. He sure does. He has a rotten <laughs> orange, and he hits Tom in the face with it. Oh. Yeah. I I was gagging a little bit. I did not Mm -hmm. like this depiction. (laughs) It's real gross, but he deserves it. Um, Oh, for sure. That's such a good uh, home. And as a result of that, Tom then blabs about what happened. So Maria knows where to find him, and she finds Celia and tells Celia where to find him. And that orange actually rescued him. It Um, did. (laughs) Orange, you glad you threw it in Tom's face? Um. Oh, but something I did want to say, the way the way she writes uh, childhood trauma responses is incredible. Nancy Farmer writes from a point of like intimate familiarity with childhood oh. trauma responses. <laughs> it, intimate, yes. And I was looking her up actually, um, and I I didn't do a deep dive, but I found some basic information about how she was born in Phoenix and. Like, didn't I was? I'm just on Wikipedia. Like, I'm not doing real research, but it doesn't have a lot of information about her upbringing, um, or any. But it is said that uh, because of oh yeah, uh, the House of the Scorpion drew on so much of her childhood. Farmer found it difficult to write the sequel, The Lord of Opium. And after going through some of the stuff, and just in this first half of the first book, I'm just like, I'm sorry. How much of this? What sort of stuff were you doing? Were you or not doing, but subject to in your childhood? And that you can write this abuse so distinctly. It's Yeah. And and then I'm just like, I'm not gonna research any further. You I don't need to know that. Yeah. It's not my and place. um I'm gonna say we're not we're almost certainly not reading the sequel on this podcast, at least not for a good long while. Cause it's a it's a sequel that was finally published like ten years later, and it's three books crammed into one because she was only going to get she, she was only getting clearance to write one more book from her publisher. Mm-hmm. So she crammed mm-hmm. three three follow-up stories into one book, and it feels like it. It's got a real dramatic three-act structure. Um, 
But okay, yeah. with just sticking to like, this one for now. I'm looking at like, some of her other works, and you can see the cover for the ear, the eye, and the arm is pretty bonkers. The ear, the eye, and the arm is apparently really fucking good, uh, and it's yeah, another it award winner of hers. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, Matt gets rescued, and he's totally nonverbal at this point, like completely nonverbal because it's safer. It's safe oh, for him. Holy to shit! To keep earlier. his words Celia... inside. Oh my god! Because I guess if he spoke, he would be beaten by Rosa or the doctor. Uh, yeah. Dr. Willem, who, as we find out soon, is a cold motherfucker. He's a real snake. Mm -hmm. oh, but yeah. at some point, when Celia was about to rescue him and stuff, she came and she's like, Oh, Mia Vita, I will be here to save you. And he just turned away from her because he's like, This is a trick. Rose is yeah. going to beat me if I like allow myself to like think that I could be saved from this hell. And mm -hmm. it's that shit was just heartbreaking. The way that mm -hmm. the abuse got into his head like that was just... Mm -hmm. Yeah. That really hurt. That really stung. Yeah, and he he even said he was glad when she and Mar he, when she and Maria left because they were they were a, an unwelcome disturbance on the life he was like already living in my little because, kingdom. Because he got used to uh, the shed shells of cockroaches. I am building a castle out of it. He had gotten so used to it and had his like he knew what he was doing with it. So don't. Don't fucking come in here and complicate my life. Look, I just made a I just made a safe little world inside my mind. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he's like six at yep. the time, right? Yep. So he is six years old. Yeah. Um. So six year olds don't have control over their world as it is. I mean, mm. yeah. He's lucky he was ever able to talk again. Yeah, honestly, and God, the way he does is, oof. Um. But he gets rescued, and Rosa, like, busts in and is like, I gotta get you fucking washed right now. Let's go. Don't you dare tell anyone, or I will kill you. And, like, we know that she actually wouldn't. Right. Because if she did, she'd be killed anyway. Mm -hmm. Or worse. Um, but she comes in, and, like, she scrubs him, she puts him in clothes, and then, boom, right to this little drawing room with Celia and El Patron and the back and forth as he talks and like it gets revealed to El Patron that Rosa had him in chicken litter and like was fucking with him and all of that and she gets she just gets taken she just gets taken out of the room meanwhile she's yelling for the doctor to like defend her and like, you knew, you knew, don't pretend you didn't know, you knew. And like, attacks him. And he's just, he's just standing there cold as ice, like, nope, I didn't know. I didn't know a thing. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. And, and they had apparently like a, some kind of liaison th throughout his visits. Yeah, to they, Rosa they, and the they were hooking up. They um, were hooking up. <laughs> and arguably not the only person the doctor might be hooking up with in this book. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so she gets taken, and they talk a little bit, and El Patron starts calling him Mi Vida, too, because he hears Celia say it, and it makes him laugh. It makes him laugh, and he says, I like that. I'm gonna use that, too. Like, oh yeah, Mi Vida, I like that. I like it so much, in fact, it's what I'll call him. Like. It's pretty fitting, too. Yeah, extremely fitting. This... This boy is his life. And, oh my god. Oh, it's just... 
it's just the worst. And he, he talks a little bit about his history. He talks a little bit about his history. He's from uh, Aslan, and he came up really fucking poor, and everyone in his family died except for him, and he eventually carved out this nation for himself with his money and his influence and his drugs. Sorry, I'm back. Did you guys talk about them dragging Rosa away? Yes. We did, yeah. We talked about them dragging Rosa away, and we talked about how El Patron adopted Mi Vida as as his turn for Matt, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is... Damn, that Willem, what a fucking snake. What a... He's putting the moves on her. He's, like, he's getting some action and just sends her right up the river. Like, she is... Mm -hmm. She's going to uh, Lobotomy Island. Yeah. She's going to go live on a nice little farm. Yeah. Yeah, well, she's she's got a job lined up. She sure does. She sure does have a job lined up. Um, <sighs> My God, it's grim. It certainly is. Um, but Matt Matt likes El Patron. There's something comforting about the way Grandpa. he looks. Like his his hands. There's a there's a right look about him. It he looks right, and like yeah, it's because you're 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 his clone. You're his clone. Mm-hmm. So you think he looks right because. He looks like you at this, this 140. He's 140. This motherfucker, he looks right. In my head, he looks like uh, old man David Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> James Hong just in old man makeup, just falling apart at the seams. Fucked up looking. Yeah, he... That's I also love that his name was... He's an ancient Chinese wizard and his name is David. <laughs> so funny. Um, but... Matt has some interesting questions over the next little bit because he learns what a clone kind of is as it goes. And he he has this thought later. Being a clone was bad no matter what you did, so why bother being good at all? Now, as that was a long Mar- That one stuck out. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting concept. Um, and, like, there's, there's bits here and there of Matt hearing words and things and... Not knowing what they mean, but knowing what the intent is. And that's mm. something that's huge that people do not understand about kids, is that kids may not understand the words you say, but they understand the way you say it. And the like, context. I, I really liked he... If this if you're reading this book at the age of, like, 12, and this is your first introduction to the concept of a clone, really, th- th- this book is going to be mind-blowing to you. Because um, for a long time, he keeps Matt keeps hearing it, but at some point, he even asks uh, his bodyguard, who we'll get to, is just like, what is that? Am I some kind of machine? And I was just like, oh, yeah, that might, would be. You don't think, mm-hmm. like, a genetic uh, birth duplicate. You think, like, I'm a, I'm a replicant. Yeah, this... he, he actually at one point is reflecting, and he's like, I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not even real. I'm basically a picture. I'm, I'm just a picture. I'm not a real, I'm, I'm not, like, real. And that's so interesting. Like, the lines being drawn there are really fascinating from, like, a psychology perspective. Like, a child psychology child perspective. Child psychology perspective. Yeah. It's really interesting. And he's not 100% wrong is the thing. He is kind of a living photograph. Um, and it's terrifying. It's yeah. it's existentially horrifying. So much of this book is existential horror. But you know what's in the subtext of his relationship with El Patron as the clone, El Patron as you described, is so characterized by his past, by his childhood, by the trauma he endured, and Matt 
while being genetically the same. I mean, the nature versus nurture. The nature is exactly the same. The nurture is wildly different. So the idea that Matt would ever be the same kind of person as an adult that El Patron was, it's just not, that's just not, not true. He's going to be someone totally mm-hmm. different. And, yeah, you, and you know, as he th- le- starts learning piano, people are reflecting about like, oh, El Patron doesn't know a damn shit about music. He can't play music. Yeah, and they even say he probably just, he probably never had the opportunity because if they had a piano, they would have used it for firewood. Yeah. And yeah, the it's, the concepts of personhood crazy. and in who you choose, like, God, I know it. It just made me think of the Iron Giant, which I know, of course, easy makes me, everything makes me think of the Iron Giant, but like, you are who you choose to be. You are not a clone. (laughs) Or I think like a more direct comparison I thought about earlier was the classic uh, philosophical wisdom from Mewtwo, which was, it is not the circumstances of of one's birth that determines who you are. It is what you choose to do with the gift of life. Yeah. And absolutely, that was a big thing with this book. I mean, (laughs) realistically, if I if I hadn't watched Pokemon the first movie like two years before reading this, this would have been my introduction of what a clone was. Oh, shoot! Now I think about it, was my introduction to cloning Pokemon too? Damn, it might have been. Hell yeah, Pokemon introducing cloning as a digestible concept. (laughs) Yep. And yeah, that I find. I mean, I know narratively speaking, the piano playing part comes later than the part we're at now but i know I'm it's interesting yeah. because like so matt uh, matt's worth is solely tied to el patron he has nothing of his own that makes mm-hmm. him distinctive or important and music is the first thing yeah it's the first thing that's his yeah and his. he doesn't even really know that i yeah i, I, like, I want i want someone like like i want his bodyguard to say that to him but no oh, that's right we El Patron gives him gives him many things. Yeah, because um, he doesn't have to live in his chicken coop anymore. Mm-hmm. And Celia and um, Celia and Maria try to get him to talk. They they try and get him to talk and work with him, and it's not working. And Maria again compares him to Furball, her dog, and it's like when Furball got taken by the dog catcher, you know, after a day he was fine again. And she was like, yeah, but Matt was taken for a lot longer than Furball was. So, you know, oh, so the longer you're hurting, the longer it's going to take to recover. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that is trauma right there. That is. Yeah, I guess. Yes. <laughs> but it's, yep. not a, it's not a really good direct comparison with this chihuahua, but mm-hmm. yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's, it's well written so that it's its audience of young readers can understand that like basic bit of trauma recovery of like the longer you're hurting, the longer it's going to take to recover. And God, that's, it's an insightful, it's an insightful observation from a small child. Mm -hmm. But then Matt gets to pick a bodyguard. Matt gets to pick a bodyguard between Daft Donald and Tam Lin and yeah, Alpatron specifically is says, "How daft is that, Donald?" He said, "I picked, uh, I picked up this lot in Scotland, breaking heads outside a soccer field. Always choose your bodyguards from another country, Matt. They find it harder to make alliances and betray you. That's fucking brilliant, and it's a neat little insight into why Alpatron has stayed this powerful for this long. Like, yeah, that's 
that's a brilliant idea and one I 100% would not have thought of. He's a real ruthless motherfucker and he's got uh mm-hmm. he's got deep strategies. It's especially it's especially hard for them to make uh make alliances if they don't speak the language. Yeah. Which which we're we're never given full reason to believe that Donald or Tam know know Spanish and they certainly can barely read. Um were they described as illiterate these two Scotsmen? Uh, so Tamlin did straight up say like, I, I can, I can read, but it's very slow. Uh, I stopped, I stopped going to school at like 12. Oh yeah, I did. I did hear that at some point. Mm-hmm. And I, it's an interesting, what was interesting to me in the moment, you know, when he picks the bodyguard and has that line about choosing your bodyguard wisely, like it's, you know. We're getting glimpses of this larger, more terrifying, ruthless world that is right now benefiting Matt, in, you know, despite shitting on him in so many ways. And like, it's just interesting seeing it from a child's point of view, because if we started out with this depiction of, yeah, there's this country ruled by a drug lord. And like, if we, if we were dumped all of that, if that was all dumped on us all at once, we wouldn't see it the same way as Matt yeah. does. And all of these lessons are very clearly meant so that Matt believes he's being taken under El Patron's wing. Yeah. And this is the beginning of El Patron, like, starting that long-scale manipulation so Matt never questions why he's kept around. Because, you know, because I'm his, like, son. Or I'm yeah. his, like, weird, uh, I'm his weird clone son. He wants, a, uh, he wants, like, his heir to be a copy of him. Which is why I didn't get the brain poison to become a sub epsilon. Like uh, the guy we'll meet later, who's <laughs> made his clone into something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so some time passes, and then you know Maria goes off to school. All the other kids go off to school, and Matt sticks around. And he's got he he picks Tamlin, this guy with cauliflower ear. Because um, he had a bit of kindness in his eyes, which I thought, yeah. aw, that's great. And, and El Patron even tells him good choice whenever he picks Tam. And oh, that's yeah. I thought that was like one of those video game choices where they're going to say, ah, yes, that was the correct one, no matter which one you picked. I I love Tamlin. I love his character. He's so fucking interesting. Oh, Tamlin um, is so great. He's the guy I related to the most out of this whole thing. <laughs> he he only gets more interesting as the book goes on. Honestly. Um, yeah, I got like, spoiled on his uh, background, oh, his own past traumas, because of reading the um, the character. Yeah, thing. and oh, I've been on yeah. TV. I've leave, been on TV tropes. You know, that's oh. my mistake. I shouldn't oh, have done okay. it. Yeah. Shouldn't have gone on TV tropes. Yeah, good to um, know. We'll avoid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tamlin. Yeah, Tamlin is fascinating. He's a fascinating he character. He's a good mentor character. He's, He's like a an very... outdoorsman. He's like a tracker and a ranger. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He's a very he our boy good mentor the, character. Bur- Not necessarily a good person. No. But a good mentor awful character. Person. Real real douche. But uh But he's a very good mentor character because he also doesn't put up with any of Matt's shit. Cause the entire time he knows that Matt, like, for a little while there, Matt was like, well, I could speak, but I like the attention I'm getting from not speaking, which is also very much a little kid thing. He's finally mm-hmm. getting positive attention. For the first time in months. So of course he's going to milk it for all it's worth. Because once he's not getting that attention anymore. 
Well, they might go back to ignoring him. Or he needs worse, to maintain that him like a fucking prison slave. Yeah, he needs to he needs to maintain that attention if he can. And Tam knows that he's doing that. Tam is like, you could talk anytime you want, couldn't you? You little shit. I'm not going to be nice <laughs> to you just because you're Patron, the Patron clone. Um, but it, yeah, he's fascinating. And he actually kind of talks to him a little bit and he's like, hey, I know you're a clone of the old man and I don't fully understand how clones work, but like, you can choose who you want to be. We choose who we want to be early in life. And it's a choice from there on and there on and there on, but you got a choice to make. Do you want to be a good person or do you want to be a bad person? You are who you choose to be. Superman. Um, I think, you know, I got the impression that like Tam Lin has not been somebody who has been socialized about their social position relative to a clone. So Mm. Tam Lin's experience of Matt has just been like, this is a fucking kid. He's a weird kid and he's traumatized, but uh, he's he's just a kid. I don't yeah. think he, like, has it rooted deep in his brain about, like, how one is to treat clones. Yeah, and I'll say this. He, from what we can tell, grew up relatively poor. He likely didn't have any contact with people who, where clones were even a going concern for them. Yeah. No one in his town could afford a, a clone slave. Yeah. Hmm. I will say this. Oh, I man. forgot he was Scottish. Uh, based off yes. of what I knew about his character, I thought he was Irish. Me too. Well, I kept going there, but the name is Scottish, though. Um, yeah, the name I, is Scottish. I knew the name, right? Uh, yeah, the name is Scottish, forward. but the character background feels a little bit more Irish. Yeah. Um, for reasons you'll discover during the reading for our next episode. What sort of oh, what boy. sort of socio political background might the Irish and Scottish share? I wonder. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> um. But but he says, when you're small, you ch- you can choose which way you want to grow. If you're kind and decent, you grow into a kind and decent man. If you're like El Patron, just think about it. Yeah. El Patron. He's also the only he... person who talks shit about El Patron. Yeah. Because he he knows that he fucking can. Yeah. And I love that. I love the guy who's like, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> and I love, a, uh, I love a mob boss who's like, that's why he's the best bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those guys where like everyone, everyone like reveres and you know panders to the old patriarch, literally Patron. Uh, but the Patron's like, ah, but that's a man I can play a real game of checkers with. He's not gonna bullshit you. Yeah, that sort of thing. I like that, and I love Tamlin. Tamlin fucking kicks ass. Who would he, play Tamlin in the movie? Does. Oh Let's man, I was thinking. Okay. I don't think. The thing is, I don't believe that Vin Diesel could do a Scottish accent. Oh, God, no. No, I would never want no. Vin Diesel to play this man. <laughs> Honestly, um, what I'd go for is maybe in five years, I would be down for Michael Fassbender playing him. Okay. I don't know that he could do Scottish, but he is a little bit of what I picture with Tamlin. Even though I picture Tamlin being like much broader and like stockier. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many people deliver that same sort of like, I have been in so many goddamn fights, kind of face. Right. I. Hmm. I don't know. Because like, no, I believe Michael like... Fassbender's taken a couple of punches to the face before. I I would buy that, and not because he looks fucked up, just because I believe like he he has a face that makes me think he could take a punch. Yeah. 
See, now I'm looking oh, up Scottish fuck, actors the... to see who I know, I'm like, I'm <laughs> desperately Googling muscular Scottish actor, which is going to get me some Not for the first weird... time. <laughs> um... Okay, but now I'm Googling, uh... Oh, fuck. I can't pronounce this motherfucking name. The guy who played Gregor Clegane in Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay, you know what? Yeah, I, I oh, yeah. can, I can for sure see that. Okay. Hold on, hold on. I'm on Wikipedia listening to it. Half Thor, Julius Bjornsson. Uh, all, f- all for Bjornsson. Half- I, I googled like the guy who played the Mountain, and it gives me oh. this name with letters that I just don't recognize. I'm like, I'm not oh, pronouncing, dude. Sorry, I I forgot you were talking about Gregor Clegane. I thought you were talking about Sandor, and I I I was oh. I I was on board for that. I okay, so the, uh, we're just gonna refer to these actors by the Clegane characters' names. Um, yep. Gregor's actor is going to bring muscular, but Clegane's actor is going to bring fucked up and traumatized. Yeah, and like shitty person who's a who's an interesting mentor. Um, I Although, yeah, Rory McCann. You know what? I'm changing it. It's gonna be Rory McCann. You know, I can also, see it. Yeah. I, also, this is, is a total. Aside. He is this is a total. It's a total aside. I've just got a uh, Disco Elysium Final Cut for the Switch because I love that game. Nice. I think Rory McCann could do the detective like really well because <laughs> he's just got that face that like I'm. He can be a fucked up, like strung out alcoholic. Yeah, I I, I buy him as deeply tired. Yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, anyway, Matt has to start school, and he gets a teacher. He's like, "This teacher's this teacher's fucked up. This teacher's weird." Um, Why does she? She only like her, counts. She just counts. Her, her smile didn't look right. It stopped at the edge of her mouth, as though there was a wall keeping it from getting any farther. And her laugh was weird too. Like, ooh, ooh, picking up on some uh, not quite person things, huh? You're you're getting mm-hmm. some repl- replicant vibes. Which no wonder you think about like, am I a machine? Is that what a clone is? Um, this is the first clone he's really met, and she this, is uh, an. But Egypt. this isn't a clone. This isn't a clone. Oh. Yeah, this, this is, is an a... Egypt though. Uh teacher teacher is an Egypt and he he freaks out on her and he like he freaks okay, out so... on her and he finally talks and like she's just sobbing in the corner because she she's done something wrong but she isn't sure what and Tam Lin comes in and is like no you you did you did great you poor creature I didn't understand what you were until now and like yeah and you you so fixed really something, something that none of us knew how to how to how to even come close to, and yeah. like walks with her because she is. Uh, Matt says Matt calls her in Egypt, which he doesn't understand what that means, and Tamlin even calls him out on it. You don't know what that means, but he's right. So an Egypt is a person whose brain has been microchipped, or not just a person, but a being whose brain has been microchipped so that they can only perform a certain task. And they'll only perform tasks as they've been instructed and programmed to do. And yeah, she is one. She is an Egypt. That's why she can only teach a single lesson. She can a only teach that one, one lesson. Mind. A so a single lesson curriculum teacher. Why outside of just like, you know, being the teacher to occupy Matt, what sort of role does this sort of sort of mentally damaged slave worker fulfill like does a school does a kindergarten like bring her around for a week and she just rotates to different schools to do accounting lesson 
And so, she just is on like a little circuit. They so like move her around to do it. So here's kind of the thing. Um, Egypts are initially programmed for a specific task. You you don't tend to change tasks for an Egypt. Yeah. I don't believe it's ever explicitly said, but there it's reasonable to assume she was made into an Egypt for the express purpose of teaching Matt. Yeah, and then they realize like, oh, this this can only last for like a week before Matt like learns how to count and then he's like, "What the fuck is this?" and then yeah. she cries because they won't they can't get a human to teach him. That's None the thing. They could they could get a person to come in and teach whoever they wanted and you know, they send and... the other kids away to boarding school, but in theory they could get a get a person to come in and teach anyone except for a clone. Yeah, and and I'm sure they're just like, "Okay, even if we could get a new Egypt to teach every week. At some point, an Egypt's not going to be able to do like literary analysis in any capacity or algebra, maybe not even multiplication tables. Yeah. Uh, so, because this was the the function of the Egypt as a cast. Oh, it's so grisly to even think about. Yeah. Like even when you're using their terms in the universe, Egypt, you're just glossing over like one of the most inhuman atrocities i could imagine just doing this to somebody mm -hmm. um and it's just so commonplace that these children call each other it in place of things like idiot i mm -hmm. got to imagine what's the economy of this stuff because you can have like to to be lobotomized into an egypt is a form of punishment which i'm sure we'll see with a certain somebody later on but to so you do that to transform prisoners or just, you know, the, uh, what's it, I, like the social excess of humanity. I got the impression that it was, you know, the very poor of this Yeah, nation. the very poor. Or, yeah. you know, and the very poor and the criminals and just maybe, you know, anyone's bitch wife that you want out of the way. You know, because yeah, it's the, essentially uh, a fucking lobotomy. The, and the uh, maybe the clone technicians that don't quite make it. Or, you know, also a lot of any of the household staff like, that speak out against El Patron. Yeah. Just any dissidents, any uh, maladroits. Um, or, you know, anyone, anyone attempting to illegally uh, immigrate from Mexico into the U.S. There is, yeah. it is not a coincidence what I'm border sure. this country is on. Yeah. That's a yeesh from me. That's a yeesh That's... from me, dog. But, yeah. so, with between this and the clones, who I'm sure... So all clones are Egypts, but not all Egypts are clones. Mm -hmm. Some Egypts are, you know, prisoners and maladroits and social excess. All uh, clones, all clones except Matt, are essentially Egypts. Um, but they're, but they're lower, actually further beyond that because they're not programmed yeah. for any tasks. Their minds so, are destroyed, just like an Egypt's would be, exactly. but they're not programmed for anything. I've been trying to figure out how the labor economy of this uh dystopia operates because the clones and egypt training must be so cheap to have these expendable you know mental invalids that you've manufactured be like more effective a source of production for like all of this opium for instance yeah. than you know a workforce mm -hmm. and i'm sure like as sub epsilons they're all treated in total slave conditions if, the, if they're lucky, Christ. But yeah. 
and they I mean, have no will. How and like how cheap must this technology of turning them into these just gruesome labor machines? How cheap must that be for this to be where production has gotten to? Mm-hmm. I mean, probably pretty cheap, but also the country of opium is kind of a large economic power. Like, it is a world power. El Patron has his birthday party in the chapters we read, and there's international people. Oh, like, yeah. there's international diplomats there. There's dictators of a bunch of countries that Matt doesn't <laughs> even know. Like, there's so many fucking people there. It's incredible. Like, imagine... This This country has presumably, like, a 60% market share for global opium. I would say even more than that, realistically. <laughs> yeah, I was I was lowballing it because you don't make a whole country called opium without it being at least sixty percent of global I mean, production. It's it's interesting to think about too. Like, how many times must the uh, must the CIA have attempted to get into opium to overthrow it and like acquire that opium trade for themselves? Because. <laughs> Because, I mean, when would we have ever done that before? When would America have ever uh, invaded somewhere Are before you freaking... in an attempt to... Uh, oh, Miles, uh... Miles, Miles. Are you kidding me? Oh, so innocent, so naive. The CIA has, like, a special, you know, they've got a special CIA uh, bed and breakfast on the, the, the big house farm opium compound that they're constantly, like, sending people on vacation to. This is a CIA operation. <laughs> Yeah, I would not surprise me. I mean, the United States using this as a way to keep any illegal immigration out. And yeah, literally, this is their bo- this is America's profit. border policy. Yeah. Is it, a yep. nightmare country. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and it one hundred percent is. Oh my god! I mean, straight this up, so Celia fucked. at one point tells oh. us how the coyotes in her town would sp- they they would say like, "Yeah, we'll take you to America," but they take you directly to the border patrol. They yeah, take you directly to the border patrol all because trap coyotes. they are they are rewarded for it. They are you rewarded can't even for taking it. Coyotes anymore. Yep. Christ. And one and it's, interesting thing that occurs to me is like I, we haven't seen any hint that there are like just outside of house staff that there are common people like normal everyday citizens living their lives. There's just Egypt's people who serve the the nobles basically and the noble like. Because mm-hmm. as far as I can it, tell, yeah, and there's other the country of opium like, is yeah, yeah, and it makes me think. Okay, so my class has been we've been talking about revolutions. We did the French Revolution, Latin American revolutions, and yo, sorry, school, what age range is this? Oh, we are. Uh, oh, I'm I'm working in a school for students with special needs, but it's a I'm in a high school class. We're, they're seniors. Okay, I was okay. Yeah. I was thinking like, how old oh, are yeah, you no, teaching kids not, about not revolutions? Kids. But any not age much. is fucking not cool. old also, enough. Yes. But um, yeah, because it's you know. Every time we we talk about the conditions that lead to it, I love these kids because they'll say things like, "So the the nobles, oh, sorry, the rich, right didn't see this coming. They didn't see that hoarding and and mistreating everybody was going to come back to bite them." I'm like, well, so opium. At least my you know prediction here is that they've created a society in which they there is no you know there is no third class that can rebel against them. There's they control them completely. They control employees. the means of production they because control. the populace is the means of production. Yep. Um, I I also want to say it's it's funny to me. So Matt grows up with these shows like uh, El Latigo Negro, Negro, uh, The Black Whip, mm-hmm. who 
uh, is also what El Patron grew up and grew up with, um, because like El Patron kind of wants to keep that aesthetic. He wants to keep the aesthetic of his childhood. That's why there's not a whole lot of modern conveniences. Yeah. That's why like the aesthetic is so different. But that's a psychotic thing. It is. Um, he's creating his as the most powerful man in the world. He's creating his own little pocket dimension of his own psyche where he has this simulated form of his of himself as a child to like live out the sort of childhood like he would have wanted or something. Mm-hmm. But Matt straight up says that the the Black Whip rescues people rescues poor people from evil from capitalists. capitalists. Yeah, man. Yeah. And like <laughs> El Patron is the epitome of an evil capitalist. Yep. He is enormously yep. evil capitalist. He He's a monopolist he, at the very He yeah. not only regards people as resources, but he turns people into resources. Yep. And like he pulls oh he, he viciously rips the humanity out of people so that they can more effectively, more efficiently, and on the cheap regarding their lifestyles and human rights and workers' rights you know, be more excellent and effective laborers mm-hmm. Oh, at the cost you know of the, all uh, of their humanity and often their lives. The field overseers are also normal people, but they, again, are employees. They're, mm-hmm. they're middle management. Yeah. Um, there, there being, are no like, peasants. very tightly maintained <laughs> in their position, be like, I, well, I can't rock the boat, or, you know, I'll end up in the fields with half mm-hmm. of my brain stem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so Tamlin takes takes Matt out on a horse ride. They go through the fields, and Matt reflects on how like he knows a lot about the processing of opium as a like as a student of El Patron's now. And they see a man lying and lying, according to Tamlin, dead already. And Tamlin's just like, no, we can't save him. It's too late for him. We gotta go. We're do- like, we're going. Keep going. And. And he has this moment of reflection, like, why hadn't any of the other workers helped him? Why was he being left out there like a piece of trash? It's like, uh, yeah, uh, Tamlin takes him to this little reservoir and, you know, orders the horses to drink. And he tells him about what Egypts are and, like, a lot of shit. He gives him so much world building because he this is the one like... place he knows isn't under surveillance. Because he tells Matt the rest of the house is. The rest of the house Tamlin, is under constant I... surveillance. Tamlin truly is the hero of this, you know, because, yeah, he does tell Matt, like, this is, like, this horse is, you know, it's called a safe horse, but it's essentially an Egypt horse. If I didn't tell it to drink, this horse is fucking thirsty, okay? It's been walking us this whole way. If I didn't tell this horse to drink, it wouldn't drink. It would just die. It would just die here of thirst with all the water in front of it. That guy, that human corpse that you saw, is a horse that nobody told to drink. Yeah. That's insane. Holy shit, that... Yes, mm-hmm. I'm. It's hit me more so now that we're talking about it than when I was reading it. That like, Jesus Christ, how cheap life is. Yeah. Oh, something important that I made a note of. Uh, he actually says he brought them here. He brought them here for two reasons. One, because it's nice, and two, because I wanted to tell you a few things without being spied on. He he says first and foremost he's taking Matt to this little oasis because it's nice there. It is nice. I, I was yeah. just the description of it was so wonderful. I'm like, I want to go there. Yeah, and I want to have a picnic here. And and he like he makes sure that Matt knows like, hey, don't tell anyone about this, including El Patron, because if you do, they'll destroy it. Because 
Capitalism destroys everything it touches. Everything good that it can exploit, it will. This, like, this literal oasis, this is a resource that can be extracted. And as long as they don't know, at least we can buy it some time. Do you want to learn how to identify a coyote's nest? And, yeah, and he explains what a clone is to Matt. Um, and, and, like... He also talks shit on Tom. Everybody fucking hates Tom, and it's Fuck great Tom. because everyone Dude, yeah, knows. No one likes everyone, Tom. Every pretty much everyone knows that Tom is the worst, most sadistic little sociopathic piece of shit. Um, and this was giving me real like child, uh, the writing of a child perspective vibes of like you know you have your cousin who's a sociopath who you can't stand, and he's always tricking you and getting you in trouble and like framing you for shit. And fuck him. It was like it, I I got that great like child en- childhood energy from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that Matt, uh, for Matt, a lot uh, you're a clone, but you're different, and a lot of people are afraid of you. I'm like yeah, Ooh. they hate me. Yeah, some do, but some but some love you. And I'm talking about Maria and of course Celia. Oh, and El Patron. Ah, well, El Patron's a special case, and then yeah. moves off of it like. Good dodge there, buddy. El Patron's a special mm. case. So, you know, you might just think that, yeah, El Patron loves you, but he's he's a special case because, of course, he loves you. He's you. Uh, but now, he just didn't want to tell Matt that El Patron does not love him. El Patron sees him as not... yet another person under his control. Yeah. Another possession. Mm. Unique among all the other clones. I like, I like planting the seed that, like, People will be afraid of you, not because you're a clone, but because you are more than a clone in their eyes. Like, he, when he gets onto, like, the, I'm just imagining, like, you know, 10 years into the future. I I don't know if the book goes there, but, like, the, like, emergence of him in a sort of broader public stage, it's just like, yeah, I'm a goddamn clone. And look at me. I'm as smart as any of you. It's going to challenge the social order Mm -hmm. in a big way. And that's probably part of why people are afraid of him is because he doesn't make sense um he's going to cause like the need to reflect on the nature of clones and the relationship to clones and you know literally a manufacturing context i mean honestly if egypt's currently existed you know full well every amazon worker would be one oh for sure yeah like the idea of hyper efficient workforce that only does what you tell them when you tell them to and doesn't do anything else and will literally be okay with everyone like people around them dying because they couldn't keep up with the work physically that's that's jeff bezos's wait wet dream a fucking some sort of laborer who does one action over and over and over again all day every day and doesn't complain and if they die you just put them in the trash. Perfect. Yeah. And, and that's what it, we call and, fulfill- and, that's what we and call can even be like distinctly viewed as not a person by the general public. Legally. Yeah. Legally has no rights, not a one. Mm-hmm. So no one can ever take them from you. Yeah. Um Christ on fire. Yeah. yeah. Um I wonder if I'd actually read this book all the way through. <laughs> like where my sense of politics would be. Um, now, earlier, later, who knows? It's, it's really interesting reading this book and seeing how it kind of started to establish the framework of some of my philosophical beliefs. Um, but 
uh, yeah, Matt comes away from that. And Tamlin's just like, all right, I think this is enough lessons for today. Do you want to know what a coyote den looks like? Do you want to you want to learn about beehives and like how to tell what the mood of the hive is based off of the sound it's making? Because he also sees Matt as a kid and he wants to teach this kid. Also, look, I you know what? You can the there's not a different sound from a hive that's more or less angry. There is but a the smell. Yeah. There is a you know if if they're buzzing more, they're agitated. But guess what? If you smell uh something that smells like artificial banana flavoring. If you smell bananas, that means they're fucking angry. Oh. That's what I know. I didn't know that. Yeah. We talked a little it's bit their, about uh, that in Why I'm Afraid of Bees, I think. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big bee head. So Oh my god, it's getting into the winter now. Shit, fuck me. I got a winterproof it just snowed today. I've got to winterproof my parents' beehive. Alright. Um Okay. But Matt comes away from that and he is like kind of fucking depressed after that because he starts to think about whether or not he's real. Um, there's another little bit that I bookmarked. Um, underneath, Matt felt a hollowness. He understood he was only a photograph of a human and that meant he wasn't really important. Photographs could lie forgotten in drawers for years. They could be thrown away. Like, And, and Matt's traumatized by seeing this dead man. He has nightmares about him every night. He sees him everywhere and like yeah, he saw a fucking dead body. Like, that is a traumatic experience, seeing your first dead Outside body. of, like, the sociopolitical context of what the Egypts are, seeing a dead body as a ten-year-old is, like, really tough. It is. Yeah. Um, but he goes around and he starts to notice, oh yeah, Felicia is playing music in this place. And he, like, hides out and he listens to her and he finds these secret passageways. Oh my god. The- Let's that go, is- Scooby-Doo, is- shit. That was that's such a childhood dream is finding secret passageways through the house. That's and so he can skulk through the walls and there's peepholes and he can spy and listen into people. It's beautiful. And and the thing is, you know that the the reason El Patron had those (laughs) built is so he could do the exact same fucking thing. (laughs) Yeah, because he's that psycho. Yeah. Oh, but like, I'm not gonna lie. I'd love to pull. I'd love to like have a hidden bookcase like a hit a bookcase hidden door in a yeah in a we all yeah yeah it's, great. it's the dream i'll never be rich enough to have one but like <laughs> who knows if i'll ever be able to own a house <laughs> but god but he starts to he starts to investigate and he sees all these different things and this is where we start to get a little bit more build with felicia tom's mom mm. um and Wait, how did, she is has, just am like I remembering She's okay. fucking yeah. zonked out did, all the time. Yeah. She's, did the party did, happen already? The party no, did not happen. No, we're before the party. Okay. Okay. So Felicia's totally she's one of those Xanax moms. She's <laughs> zooted to the gills, but she's playing piano. And did I see for a second uh old Dr. Willem putting the moves on her a little bit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um he's he's it's, such it's a de- snake. He's it's doing debatable all sorts her, of shit. I mean she and she and her husband have not been Oh yeah, married in anything but name in quite some time. <laughs> you know, you know uh, who I roughly saw her? as long as Tom has been alive. <laughs> oh, we'll hear about that a little later on. But you know who I saw Felicia as is the Helga's mom from fucking Hey Arnold. I was about to say that yeah. she's fucking Miriam. <laughs> yeah. Just fallen, fallen asleep into the plates at dinner. Yeah, yeah. and I'm gonna go make a smoothie. I need a smoothie. <laughs> yeah, Felicia. That's the thing. Felicia fucking yeah. sucks too. But she yeah. is such a tragic character. She's so oh, she's sad. Tragic. 
She's oh, yeah. so sad. And, like, the reason she's fucked up on laudanum all day, all night, is just because she's so deeply unhappy. Like On that loud. On that laudanum. She, she, <laughs> she can't even play music. The one thing that she loved most in the world, she can't even play music without it hurting anymore. Her and, hands are all fucked up. Yeah, and honestly, it kind of made me think of Mrs. Bloor. Yeah. 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 Like, imagine if someone let Mrs. Bloor drink. That would be Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> it would. Uh, gonna, except gonna less conniving. We're going to get to it in a little bit, but like, this motherfucker, she's got, al- she's got booze, and she's got a lot of laudanum. Laudanum, for anyone, if you've read this book, you'll know that it's liquid opium. They keep dissolved this. in alcohol. They, I know. I want some. I mean, I hate to say it, but like for an evening, I would be like, okay, I know I can only do it just this once. I want some laudanum. Um, they keep I mean, it in a fucking unlocked cabinet in a house that is full of weird children. It's <laughs> not on, an unlocked cabinet. It's not an unlocked cabinet. Oh, he has access to it because of the secret passage. <gasps> the secret so passage oh. opens into that closet. No shit. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um. But oh my, oh my god, fucking. I mean, realistically, if if you want something for laudanum, I mean, you could just be a Victorian person with uh with a cough. Yeah, <laughs> I know. One of one of my <laughs> favorite things is they treat the cough at the source, the brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do if I if I'm a time traveler. I'm like going back to. You know, 1880, and just getting some laudanum. But as Matt's going through these secret passages, he hears um, Mr. Alacron talking to some... Uh, Mr. Alacron and the doctor talking to El Viejo, uh, El Patron's grandson, who's like this super old guy that Matt is like... He looks older oh, than is El that Patron. Who was, this is that who it was confirmed to be? I, yes. I, I thought that was El Patron. No, um, it was it was El Viejo. Uh, they talk okay. a little bit at the dinner party, uh, at yeah, the birthday yeah. party, and that like sheds some reflection that oh okay that was El Viejo, um, about how yeah oh you'll you're gonna die without chemotherapy, Dad. Please just get treatment. No, this is my time. God wants me to come, and like he he screams out at one point. This is a place of shadows and evil. And Matt has the thought, the old man was clearly becoming irrational. Like, no, no. he's not irrational. He's the most <laughs> rational motherfucker here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not religious, but I agree with them. But like, it's time for me to die, okay? <laughs> yep. Like, he's the only one who sees this place clearly. He, he wicked does. And, like, he hates his grandfather so much. El Viejo hates El Patron, like, on a philosophical level. He does not want to be him. He refuses to get any of the, like, beetle brain implants or any of that shit. He has access. He could do it, but he chooses not to. He doesn't even choose to get chemotherapy, which realistically I think is, like... A little much, but... Yeah, that that's nowhere but near on the age. same ethical level, but... Yeah. Well, I don't know. What what age is El Viejo at this point? Look, I mean, like... El Viejo I, is, like, if, 90. Look, if I'm 90... If I'm 90, I'm not getting chemo. Look, yeah. look, look around us. We live in the world's hugest opium production. I'm set. I'm sliding <laughs> out of this mortal coil like like a greased pig in a slip and slide. I don't care, okay? Ugh. I'm not trying to live longer. Are you kidding me? 90? Come on. Yeah. Um, our, our next chapter after 
uh, like when we start up our next group, our next chapter, like one page in, El Viejo has died. Um, womp womp. Um, yeah, and it's it's kind of haunting. Um, Good for him. But I mean, also kind of, yeah, he doesn't have to deal with his family anymore because that family is a piece of shit. It's it's just yeah. a big old wheelbarrow full of shit. Speaking but, of this shitty family, um, was the only spoiler in the family tree Tom's identity? Because I get a little confused by how they're all related. Yeah, the only spoiler in the family tree, I believe, was uh, Tom's parentage. Let me let me real quick check that. Okay. Let me look at the family tree so that once you know that, it's 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 all cool. Let me let me tell the audience that um this cast is uh primarily uh Latinx people, mm-hmm. and Tom is pale skinned and red haired. So yeah. if that tells you anything about, you know, the, you'll you'll fi- you once you have that, you can kind of piece together where this guy's uh, lineage is from. Yeah. Okay. There's there's no other spoilers in in the family tree aside from that El Patron apparently deserted his wife and four of his children in Mexico. It happens, uh, and yeah, that no. uh, two of El Viejo's siblings were murdered in drug wars. As, like, he was forming opium. But yeah. Um, but so Matt begins playing piano. He begins learning how to play piano. And he he gets a teacher. They can't get an Egypt to teach music. Because, like, an Egypt just can't do it. Um, but they find Mr. Ortega. A, de- uh, a uh, apparently deaf man. I forgot he was deaf. Um, but Mr. Ortega teaches him music. Um, and... Holy shit, this next passage really fucking hit me. Um, It wasn't long before Matt added musical ability to his growing list of accomplishments. He could read ten years beyond his level, do math that left Tam Lin bewildered and irritated, and spoke both English and Spanish fluently. In addition, his art grew better by the day. He threw himself into studying everything that came before him. Matt could name the planets, the brightest stars, and all the constellations. He memorized the names of the countries, their capitals, and chief exports. He was in a rage to learn. He would excel, and then everyone would love him and forget he was a clone. Oh man, I got a couple. Hits, yeah. I got a couple thoughts on this. First off, learning math that makes Tamlin angry—that's not impressive. Um, <laughs> yeah, reading ten years learning, of his age level, being though. fluent in English and Spanish. He was already on his way there. He's had good exposure to both of them. Living with uh, Christ, I can't remember her name, but um, Celia, Celia, and everything else like memorizing the names of all the brightest stars and everything. Like, yeah, that's what happens when you're not constantly watching tv and being on the internet at the age of 12 because i could name all of the naruto characters from and all of their superpowers from each of the villages they were from but that wasn't impressive um so this holy shit um he's a bit of a savant i get it he, he is um as a child who did voraciously learn um and had that tied to my sense of self-worth for a long time yeah. uh oh boy oh yeah. boy um y- yup yup mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if that'll do it oh, yeah. yeah if the the more i learn the better i do the the more i know i'll the more attention you get the more people like you the more the adults approve of you oh you're so smart keep doing that and you're like okay or just you know if I'm if I'm smart and I'm good, I'll I'll deserve I'll, I'll I'll deserve love. I'll be good. I'll be a good kid. 
Because when you're a kid, the measure of being a good kid is largely grades. Yeah. If your grades are good, you're good. You're a good person. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, I. <sighs> Crazy. Man, big feelings. My Crazy my older shit. brother and I did not get along for a good bit of our childhoods because for a while there, I was being brought in to grade his homework. And that's that's Ooh. deeply awful. That's deeply awful because he's five years fuck. older than me. Yeah. I should. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I don't blame him for hating me at that age, but also like, you know, you know, the, like the, I had any control of our circumstances either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea of the more you learn being tied to, uh, your worth in others eyes is a big fucking mood. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Oh boy. But yeah, that fucking hit me. That was, that was the line in this that was like, oh no. This is my January of Latin characters that just, like, real resonate with some shitty things about me. Um, uh, oh, and I, I did want to say, apparently the uh, more accepted term is Latin rather than Latinx. Just because Latinx can get fucked up on some, like, readers for uh, vision-impaired people. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. But also, this is an audio medium. Uh, but, yeah. I, th- I, I thought Latin I, might be more difficult for the audio medium yeah i don't i don't know i don't know i i'm just doing what i'm told <laughs> it's it's the best i can do i can't decide terminology i can just do the best of what i'm told yeah um Ling- man linguistics Language. in the yeah. age of the internet the information age yeah are we gonna do linguistics but more time passes and it's el patron's 143rd birthday and he's invited so many people and they talk about how um last time el patron was around he just kept repeating the same sentence over and over again am i dead yet am i I dead yet yet? am i dead yet am i dead yet bring in the milk bring in the milk bring in the milk and like matt would have to answer that for him and that's also deeply existentially horrifying because matt knows that el patron is him and like knowing that you're you're going to have to ask someday am i dead when he's already questioning whether or not he's alive, is oof, oh boy, oh god, um, it's heavy. But yeah, um, but so Celia, Celia says, hey, if anything bad happens tonight, find me in the kitchen. Um, oh, also, Tamlin has started making like a garden for Celia, and I just think that's cute. It is very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, like here, are Matt's two parental figures who managed to also they're i mean i love this that they are parental figures for this character but they also never like seemingly never have any sort of romantic relationship whatsoever Mm -hmm. they are united through their semi-parental bond with matt but they but they aren't interested in each other in that way and i feel like that's a real rarity in media yeah and i just think it's cool i just think it's cool and i wanted to say it before we forgot it but yeah Mm -hmm. um but but matt's just like yeah what are you what are you talking about anything bad sure yeah i promised oh i'm a fool what good would it do if you understood it would only make things worse and like yep yeah if anything bad happens tonight because el patron was really disintegrating last time 
He's on his last legs. He's got mm-hmm. all the chips and all of the uh, genetic machines. But yeah, so yikes. she's she's like fully convinced that okay, tonight might be the ma- might be the night that Matt gets harvested. Uh, harvested. <laughs> yeah. And okay. God. Yeah, and so they do this, and this this birthday party has so many different people at it, and senators, dictators, senators, dictators, princesses, like movie stars, billionaires, Um, masters of industry, and of course, Ghislaine Maxwell. (laughs) Yep. Oh, do you think do you think El Patron was behind Jeffrey Epstein? He's the he's the real person who ordered the hit. El Patron. Definitely <laughs> yeah, not the, our uh, the... definitely not our forty second president or our forty fifth president. <laughs> no. Yeah, that one uh, prison guard was an Egypt who had just like walked in there while oh all the cameras are turned off. How did that happen? Yeah, and he he just happened to happen to kill himself with something that wasn't in his cell previously. Eh, whatever. People die in prison look, cells all the time from suicide, look, and it's definitely yeah, always who suicide. Amongst us, yeah. And who amongst us haven't managed to successfully hang ourselves from, like, four feet above the ground with, you know, extremely thed- threadbare, thin, and flimsy sheets? Yeah. I've done that a couple times. But... And I'm dead as shit. <laughs> of my own hand. But yeah. Oh, um, they go back to Maria's room and try and find her dog, and Tom's just... Like, yeah, no, I don't know where the dog could possibly be. Turns out he shoved the dog in the toilet and then closed the lid, hoping that it would, like, realistically, the only two options there are that he put Furball in there because he was, after a little bit of searching, going to find Furball and hoped, like, Maria would love him because she, because he rescued her dog, or he was waiting for the dog to drown. And I'm, like, both are so fucking evil. Tom, like I said before that Rosa is cartoonishly evil, Tom is even more so. Tom is ridiculously evil, like, to the point that it's just, it's just unbelievable. He is the ultimate sociopathic rich kid. The perfect sociopath. Like, he literally nails a frog's feet to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. As a, and as he said, I'm doing a science experiment. No. Yeah. He is a very hateable character. Yeah. Um the perfect shit heel. The per- yeah, a guy but, that everyone hates. Mm-hmm. Uh but this is also the first appearance of McGregor, one of the uh one of the other farms or er, farmers who is friends with El Patron and has this bristly red hair. And who else have we heard said has bristly red hair? Oh yeah, it's Tom. And like a few hints the get only late, other but ginger it's... rolls up. Another yeah. old billionaire with an interest in not clones. No, Tom's not a clone. Gonna skip that one. No, Tom is not a clone. But something interesting. So, El Patron and McGregor are talking about fetal brain implants doing a world of good for your like mental fortitude. Um, which like, I mean, that's also like semi a thing already. Which is fucked. well, which is why El Patron has like outlived his own mentally has outlived his own grandson El Viejo. But like, yeah. but I was trying to figure out what fetal brain implants means because it's not an implant put in when you are a fetus he wouldn't have had no. access to that as no it's an like implant of cells. fetal brain tissue mm-hmm. okay yeah. that's what i was wondering to like renew yeah. the brain mm-hmm. this was and the this was the stem cell debate you get fetal stem cells 
injected into your own brain to help it not deteriorate in your old age. And McGregor says, oh, well, could I use... And El Patron immediately says, no, no, he's too old. My question here, El Patron uses the word he, which to me does not sound like he's talking about McGregor's clone. Oh, fuck. I I feel like McGregor was talking about Tom. Tom might... That might have implied that Tom is himself... A clone for harvesting. I don't so, know. So Tom is not a clone. He was explicitly birthed by uh by yeah, Felicia. By Felicia. Wait a minute. Why can't clones be birthed by Because like, they're unnatural they're unnatural. They wouldn't be implanted in a human woman. That's what uh, I thought I thought at first before okay, for a brief second, I thought brood cows were some kind of human birthing oh. thing. Like because they have Egypts. They have Egypts. If you can gestate a clone within a cow, why can't you gestate a clone within a human Egypt? And why can't you gestate a clone within a non-Egypt human woman? My assumption is they use the cows, one, because they're a more readily available resource. Like, you wouldn't waste a human body on that when that human body could be used in the field. Um, <laughs> and two... Oh, how, how valuable you... are they in the field when they leave them, like, to die from neglect of commanding them to drink water? Well, they so that's the thing. They don't much. leave them to intentionally do that. That person just lagged behind. Um, but, because no, but that's the a, grim if, machine if, of capitalism rolls on. But no, if that's true, that's a significant oversight. If they're that valuable, that they my, can't be brood sows or whatever. Like, you know, it seems like a, a fireable offense to let one die of dehydration. My other assumption is that the fact that they are birthed from an animal and not a person, even if that person is an Egypt, the fact that they are birthed from an animal continues that dehumanization and uh, allows them to be sort of kept further separated so they're that way there's no less they're not thinking of them as a baby it yeah. maintains the mythology of the inhumanity of a clone plus a cow is less likely to die during the childbirth process i was thinking that yeah it's a lot more physically strenuous on a human and cows got those big wide birth canals mm-hmm. yeah i'll be i mean yeah the thought came to my mind because it's dark and fucked up as it is because um i don't know do you guys care about spoilers for the larger dune universe are you gonna read all them books oh the larger dune universe no mm-hmm. i love that yeah no, go it. for it okay um it's mentioned several times that go, um, various genetic creations especially golas um they're re- resus- well uh, replicas of dead humans with their sometimes with their memories intact. Um, various genetic creations are made in what are called axolotl tanks, and we never actually see them. Till much later, it's made clear that they're, they're just human women, just genetically modified to make this mm-hmm. the whole process more uh, streamlined. And um, yeah, just, it was creepy. Yeah. Gross. Axolotl tanks, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so that was my thought process. Honestly, that was my thought process reading it for the first time as a kid. Like, oh, is he talking about Tom? Is he going to harvest Tom's brain oh. shit? And, I mean, I wouldn't have said shit because I was eight. But, um, but like, yeah, that was my thought then. And honestly, reading it again, it's like, yeah, no, he said he. He said he. He wouldn't have said that for a clone. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe. I think that might still be a reference. I, I give plausible deniability that that may still be a reference to the clone of McGregor's that we encounter shortly after. It may be. My only sticking point is just that El Patron 
El Patron does not refer to any other clones besides Matt by non-it pronouns. But also, yeah, that could have that could have also just been an oversight. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. Um, but oh yeah, everyone also clones. talks about how McGregor creeps them out because like, yeah, he's a fucking creepy dude. He's a creepy dude. He like stares at Matt for a good chunk of the evening. Like, I want your, I want, I want your shit. Um, but yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, the birthday the party, party rolls on, and it's so fucking bad. It's so it's... bad. Mm-hmm. Then Matt at one uh, to get revenge on Tom for his attempted drowning of Furball. He takes. Tom's name tag and puts it at the kitty table. And Maria's not happy about this at all. She doesn't believe that Tom would ever try to drown her puppy. Even yeah. if Tom's an asshole. She she believes the best in Tom, but still treats Matt like he is an animal. Mm-hmm. Which is just incredible. It's yeah. it's ridiculous and incredible. Like she is she's I mean, she is well intentioned but never once challenges her perceptions and what she's been told about the world. But also she's 11. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's not. She's got a lot of different, and and she's got a lot of different like social factors weighing in on her. I mean, Lord knows we have not seen any of the conversations her parents might've had with her in the intervening time of like, you know, I know you like that. Her mom's Uh, gone. Oh, well her dad, the Senator uh, Mendoza is just like, I know you've had your, I know you have that friend, the young boy Matt, and I know he's protected by El Patron, but you must understand, he is not a human. Yeah, I she, mean, he he hates I, I Matt. He hates Matt so fucking much because mm-hmm. Matt is friends with his daughter, and that association reflects negatively on him. Um. Oh, yeah, oh but but at dinner, people are like, "Where the fuck is? Where's Tom?" Oh, I put Tom at the baby table, and El Patron's like, hey, yeah, fucking get it. I hate him, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck that kid. El Patron is always, like, in the background of Matt's, like, most, like, vicious impulses, being like like the Emperor in Star Wars. Like, yes, do it. Do it. Use do your it hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but they're talking about El Viejo, and, like, El Viejo couldn't be at dinner because he's just feeling too or no he was at dinner but he was just like not participating because he was feeling really sickly and el patron's like yeah that's what comes from not taking care of yourself and mr alacron speaks up and he's like yeah father decided implants were immoral and i honored his decision and everyone just goes quiet i was like i'll forgive your rudeness it's my birthday and I'm in a good mood. But someday you'll be old too. Your body will start to fall apart and your brain will deteriorate. See if you're so yeah, high-minded. That's what then. dying is, dude. And it's like... Get used I mean, to it. I mean, yeah, I understand that. Like, to a certain degree, yeah, 100% get it. Like, the, the idea of losing control of my mental faculties as I age is fucking terrifying. It's... Yeah. It's, it's horrifying. But also... It also it just it feels like that argument of, well, you'll get more conservative as you'll get as you get older. It's like, no, older generations are more conservative because one, they become the ones holding the wealth and the real estate and don't want to lose any of it because they 
actually acquired it, and they don't care if other people have a harder time acquiring it, because they finally have it. And two, because only the fucking rich conservative people survive to adulthood, to, survive to old age anyway. Yeah, you will fear death with an insane fervor as I do when you're my age. You'll be like, no, I won't, because not only will I not be your age, but that I didn't get to your age because I didn't fervently fear death in the way you did. Because you're a psycho. You have no zen. You didn't read any of Buddha. You're, you like, and you're a egotistical psychopath. Yeah. Eat shit. Um, Fuck them. I hate yeah. these guys. I'm so, look, this is such a weird thing to say on a podcast. I'm totally ready to die. I'm wicked not. I'm I I do fear death. Um because I I mean realistically, I fear anything that's like deeply uncertain. Um mm -hmm. that's that's part of how my anxiety manifests and yeah. I'm um, speaking to it intellectually now in the moment yeah. in an emotional response. I might like totally break down and be like, "No, no, no." Like, so, like I, I can't say that like, you know, I'm on that level existentially, but you know, a lot of times I think about like I've often had this fantasy of like fantasy is a weird word for it, but like I've been in New York city and just being like, Oh, is this the day that like, you know, the bomb drops on New York city and you have that scene where you're in, you know, like the vision, the dream vision from Terminator two. And you just like watch the mushroom cloud in the distance before it blows you into into a skeleton. And I think about like, if I saw the mushroom cloud in the distance before I was blown into a skeleton, I would like to think that I would just be like, Oh, okay. Well, Good game, everybody. Good game. Yeah, I mean, I... I that's my existential perspective. In, as I say, in the moment, I might be a fucking total mess. I might be an absolute, like, uh, belligerent, resistant pussy to it. But, but when it comes to death... But philosophically and intellectually, I'm kind of just like, yeah, it's a I, don't thing think that... I'm live to, I don't think I'm going to live to the age to put my brain into a robot and explore the cosmos for, you know, 50 millennia. I think, like, I'm just a person with a, you know, meat brain, and I'm going to die. And then uh, when you die, all of the uh, DMT releases in your brain, and you have a big, you know, dream vision acid trip. And my role in, my goal in my life is to form my mind and soul into a shape that, like, when you have that big DMT acid trip, it's a good trip, not an anxious, like, uh, you know, not a bad trip. It's a good trip. Yeah. To form yourself into someone you're happy being at the end of it. That's kind of, I think, what it's all about. I could get into a full existential thing. I'm not going to do no, that. No, it's okay. You may, yeah. Not in this podcast. Because I could Let's too. move on. Anyway, because El Patron has not had that moment in the mirror. He's not Zen. He's, he's yeah. not Zen he's at not all. Zen. No. And it's just an interesting turning point in the conversation because it's the first time we've seen anyone actually even implicitly insults El Patron. And everyone is terrified of that. <gasps> yep. The whole party, like the record scratches. <laughs> yep. I imagine, like, you could hear the record scratch. And, yeah, it's interesting. I I remember, because we were talking about Tom, um, yep, his master revenge on Tom being something El Patron endorses. And, like, there's that part where uh, Tamlin says, I'll don't worry, I'll get Tom some food so he can eat normal food like the rest of us. And and Matt tells him no, and tells him that that's an order. Like, there's a his humiliation must be complete. <laughs> yes. He must eat baby food for me. <laughs> like, I mean, the fact that he's excluding Tom from even eating good food. Like, there's a 
there's a sadistic streak in Matt that, you know, yes, he's never had a friend or anyone to actually, yeah, besides Celia, no one truly cares about him in the way like that he needs. But yeah, that's a little... Getting yeah, anytime he gets a little bit of power, he is El Patron's clone. Yeah, maybe but, that is but, El Patron's coming, his legacy coming through, especially in the way that he always endorses it. Be like, yes, punish him, punish well, him. So that's the thing. You can make a really big nature versus nurture argument for it because, yeah, to a certain degree, that could be the El Patron in him, but it could also be the fact that he has grown up now deeply powerless and alone. Mm-hmm. He's against never these the right people thing who are yeah and against these people who are deeply manipulative and awful and like mm-hmm. he wants tom to face the same sort of thing that tom makes everyone else face yeah but also it's exactly what el patron would do because mm-hmm. el patron also grew up poor and powerless yeah yeah I, so for the record i'm more nurture than nature all the way yeah. because yeah that's how I, I just be, think it's an but... interesting question and yeah because because yeah, Matt Matt wants to be a good kid a lot of the time, but so much of the methodology for getting what he wants, and yeah, whenever he has some sort of power, he one hundred percent misuses it. But again, he is also nine. Yeah. Yeah, he is nine, which is a little caveat on all of this, but the thing is that like El Patron wanted to create him in his vision, and El Patron was a El Patron is a creature created in this crucible of vicious domination on like a cultural level like he's lived in a world that the fundamental dynamic is of domination and subjugation but like given the opportunity to replicate yourself into a different type of person even just to see how that kind of person might have been you have recreated the over the course of your entire life you have reproduced and recreated the dynamics of domination and subjugation and so of course they're going to end up like you and the way that, and that person they end up like, which is you, is bad. It sucks. Yeah. Break the cycle. He Fucking likes idiots. the cycle. You he love the cycle because that's all you know. I got does... on top of this. I got on top of the cycle of domination. Now I'm the dominator, and Not I subjugate he... and torment people. Not only does he benefit from the cycle, he rules to it. A certain de- to a certain degree, he's the king. He's the king of a, it. To a certain degree, I think it gives him this like pleasure almost to see to see matt being like him mm-hmm. to know that it's vindictive to, to know that children. to know that it's not like it's it's in his nature to be this way matt is like this, it's even not. though he has opportunities it, matt has opportunities he never had but he's like this because that's just who i am um, which is and yeah bullshit. matt makes some mm-hmm. bad decisions Oh, At this dinner party, uh, specifically, yeah. Maria tries to take back her gift to Matt because she says he doesn't deserve it, and she's kind of right. Um, especially as we find out later how much like care went into it. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, no, bring me the gift. Give it to me. And also demands a kiss. What, what fucking nine-year-old even, like thinks of that mm-hmm. the kind the kind of nine-year-old who knows the dynamics of social domination yeah. and meanwhile and his never. fucking great 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 grandfather clone man is just like yes reify the the, 
reify all of the social and political dynamics that kept me at the bottom, but I rose to the top. Continue this structure of oppression for me. Yeah. And it's, it's and Tamlin even warns him. He's like, he tells him, no, this is, this is a bad decision. Tamlin, yeah. of course, the best character in this book. It's just like, Matt, come on, don't do this. You're going to feel, this is bad, and I think you're going to know it, and you're going to feel like shit, and just, like, look, listen to me. Do you trust me? Don't do yeah. this. And multiple times during this, people say, he's a clone, and El Patron chimes in, he's my clone. Because if you harm or dismiss Matt, you are harming El Patron directly. He's not a clone, he's me. Yeah. And that's true. And for yeah. better and worse. That is and, very true. Yeah. And there's even it during that, hold on. I'm trying to find it now. Um where you know, he where he says that, you know, he's he's my clone. Um This is my sudden, clone, it was made for me. Oh yeah, he seems says dark and suddenly, dangerous, like a creature yes. you might stumble on in the middle of the night. Christ. Yeah. And at that point, Matt feels like he can't back out now because now it's Patro El Patron's entertainment. He wants to see it happen. Mm-hmm. And and he gets and Matt feels like wants. shit about it afterwards, as he should. Mm-hmm. Um, it was shitty. Yeah. And after a little bit, Felicia comes to him. Felicia comes to Matt and says, "Hey, Maria wants to talk to you. She's waiting at the hospital." Uh. Of course, of course, we realize, oh no, this is Felicia working with Tom, because Felicia is way more dangerous than she appears, um, and fucking, they go through the hospital. Like, why? Lady, have another drink. Why are you doing this? You're <laughs> conniving. She... You and your son are, like, scheming to fuck up uh, two children. I what, mean, you're an adult. Come on, play the piano. Shut the fuck up. I mean, honestly, I would say a good bit of it goes down to Matt humiliated Tom. She wants to get True. Matt back. Mm -hmm. Tom is still her son. Um, imagine being an adult, even even if it's your son, imagine being an adult trying to get revenge on, like, a 10-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Holy so, shit. Uh, but they go to the... Uh, they, they go to the, they go to the uh, hospital, and Tom is there, and Maria's like, yeah, you, you told Tom to tell me to meet you here. It's like, why the fuck would Matt tell Tom anything ever? Why would he do that? Yeah. But they hear some screaming from Bre from back in there, and Maria thinks it's a cat. And it's a cat. And They're and experimenting like, on cats. We have to do something. Yeah, and as we discover, it is not a cat. It is. Mm. It is a clone. It is McGregor's clone. It's a clone um, with bristly red hair, and mm -hmm. it's, it's laying in a hospital bed, just screaming. Yeah, convulsing Riding, and screaming. shitting itself and screaming, um, and. This is the first clone Matt has ever seen, aside from himself. And it's it's awful because it reaffirms for him all of those things that people have said to him his entire life. Um, this is what you are. A squealing, like, nightmarish beast. Yeah. Um, a deformed he, freak and a nuisance to everyone you've ever interacted with. Um, he, he straight up says... He'd never seen another clone. He'd only felt the weight of hatred human had humans had for such things. He hadn't understood it because, after all, clones were like dogs and cats, and humans loved them. If he'd thought about it at all, he had assumed he was a pet, only a very intelligent one. Like, yeah, that's deeply fucked up. And Maria even says, 
are they going to tonight? I can't bear to look at them. I don't want to think about it. Maria fucking knows. Maria knows what clones are for. And she, she's Yo, not give me a couple. That. Keep um, yeah. going uh, with the podcast. Give me a couple seconds. There's like a bunch of flashing lights and ambulances outside my house. Oh. I'm going to keep the recording on, but uh, keep oh. talking about it. Okay. okay. I'll let you know what's up. Okay. Um, but yeah. And, and Matt even says like, I don't, I can't be the same kind of creature as this thing. And Maria clings to Tom and like shrinks away from Matt, mm -hmm. which is the entire reason Tom brought them there. Um, yep. And like, yeah, no, I don't touch me. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it because she knows what's going to happen to Matt. She knows yeah. what's going to happen to Matt and she doesn't want to think about it because, you know, for now he's her friend. Mm -hmm. he's her, her he's her he's her plaything. He's, he's like another pet mm-hmm and yeah i yeah i couldn't tell if it was screaming because it's in pain because it's being harvested or if it's screaming because that's all its brain i'm saying it that's all his brain knows how to do I'm like shit yeah it got me saying it like no it's a he mm -hmm. it's a little boy but is no. it it's a human but it's not a person no, it it was robbed of the chance to be. It was. It certainly was. Yeah. Um, but that's an I don't know. I feel like if something like that happened naturally to yeah a, someone in the utero, we'd still consider them a person just because they're artificial. You know, that's true. Yeah, it's a it's a weird ethical landscape to it navigate. Is. Um, Damn! Imagine getting this thrown at you in your seventh grade English class. I, knew I can't imagine why I can't imagine getting it thrown at me as an eight-year-old. Why did I you read this as an eight-year-old? And you know what? To be honest, I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like I understood a lot of this. Like I was able to process this as an eight-year-old. I I don't think I fully understood some parts of it. Like I didn't understand. I I understood Tamlin and Celia, like new dimensions of them later uh, mm -hmm. on future rereads. But like, it definitely had me questioning my my existence as a person and what it meant to be a person and like where where it is that we determine how life gets respected um oh oh my god but celia talks to matt and like tom is mcgregor's son i shouldn't tell you these things at your age but no one gets a decent childhood in the alacron household they're all scorpions boy did el patron have it right when he picked that name well, how can Tom be McGregor's son? Felicia's married to Mr. Alacron. Like, oh, buddy. Oh, my buddy. <laughs> um, and yeah, El Patron had her brought back. He doesn't like people taking his possessions. And McGregor let him do it. Felicia was beginning to bore him. And, oh, and she had to sit at the table with all of them. Yeah. And, and, and Matt's like, yeah, you should tell me about this clone because, you know, it's Tom's fault that I know about this. You can't help now you have to explain it to me mm -hmm. um and she explains yeah when clones are born they're injected with a kind of drug it turns them into she says idiots but i mean realistically it is also in egypt um mm -hmm. why it's the law don't ask me why i can't tell you um el patron didn't want it to happen to you he's powerful enough to break the law and matt matt's grateful mm -hmm. to el patron this said he can he can do anything a real human might do all because el patron loved him oh boy <sighs> he's gonna he's in for a rude awakening mm -hmm. and he's unique he's special he's better than tom who's an embarrassment to the family and asks the doctors won't inject me later and no you're 
No, darling, you're safe from that. You're safe as long as you live. She was crying, although Matt couldn't understand why. Like, you're safe as long as you live. As long as you live. You're safe as long as you live. Exact words. Mm-hmm. And, oh my god, it's it's so good, this setup of you're safe as long as you live. It's so good. She is incredible at finding ways to half-answer his concerns and not ruin that reveal for him. Um, but it's also so heartbreaking because she knows, but she's going along with it. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, she values her life more than she values his. Because if if she were to tell him and he knew, she would be killed. Yeah. Man. Are there and, any good people in this book? That's another ethical question. <laughs> yeah. Um, as Matt drifted to sleep, he pondered why McGregor would want a clone when he had a son. It was probably because Tom had been taken away from him by El Patron, and because Tom was an unnatural little weevil no father would like to have around. But then... Matt thought hazily, why replace him with a horribly damaged clone? Why indeed? Why indeed? <laughs> and then they meet up with McGregor, and he's like, oh, got me a new liver, went in for a set of kidneys while I was at it, uh, and stares at Matt when he says it. Oh, man. Oh, God. Dang, how did I, how did I not pick up on this? <laughs> but, Jesus. Um, and then, and then Matt fucking... Matt has the brilliant idea of, oh, Maria's not talking to me. What if I kidnap her dog and give her a ransom note? Yeah. What if I did no. that? Why are all his solutions the exact opposite of solutions? Honestly, it's gotta be because he was raised on telenovelas. <laughs> <laughs> both, yep. both on TV and in real life, living in the Alacron household is a telenovela. It really is. Especially since it's so unclear how people are related to each other sometimes. <laughs> but like, oh my god. Oh. Yep. Instead of, and he has the opportunity to just talk to her. And you know what? When he... When he tries, when when she he tries, shrugs him off, but not in a negative way. Yeah, she just says, like, I, I can't oh, talk hi. right now. Yeah. She even says, oh, hi. Like, not get away from me. Not, I hate you, go. Like, no. Clearly, she's open to talking to him just not right now yeah because she has like recontextualized him again she's recontextualized their friendship again she's able to block out that part of her block out that part of her knowledge of what's going to happen to him eventually she's fine with talking to him again because she doesn't have to worry about what happens later mm -hmm. and and he goes he... he goes forward with it he goes forward mm -hmm. with it he he kidnaps mm -hmm. he kidnaps the dog and he sees tom tom's got a, a frog nailed to the floor, uh, nailed to the ground at one of the ponds. Yeah, and it's an interesting pond. Like it's designed to be like an ancient absolutely. Egyptian garden. It's so cool. But also, yeah, I was doing a science project and, and Tom gets mad at him and then just whoop, mask mm. immediately back on. Tom is an expert at masking. Um, mm -hmm. Christ. Hey, I'm back. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, talked a little bit about uh celia saying you're safe as long as you live to reassure matt that the doctors aren't going to inject him and destroy his brain it's like yeah you're safe as long as you live buddy as long as you live wait matt is safe as long as matt lives yes everyone's safe living, as long as they live <laughs> that's what i was thinking if if he's not living why he's does he care safe. if he's safe <laughs> yeah yeah 
Uh, oh, there's something in that. I, th- whole I thought that meant like you're safe as long as El Patron lives, because right. if you're not serving as an organ farm for El Patron, you're just well, a lost clone. I mean, that's they also true, and then. and also uh, Celia is safe as long as Matt lives. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is a reason she calls him Mivita, and it's not just that she cares about him. Nope. Um. In that whole conversation, I was reminded, uh, we skipped over the, the part where uh, they're talking about how El Patron never, you know, how he never lets go of his possessions. And mm-hmm. he brings up the presence and, like, the material things. And Celia tells him that he's going to, they're, they're underground. They're going to be buried with him when he dies. And he's like, like, like a, a pharaoh. pharaoh. Like yeah. a pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Yes. So obsessed with immortality. Um, and Matt also says... I mean, you work for, do you, does he, if he sees his family as belonging to him, does he see you as belonging to him too? Like, yeah. Oh. And then yeah, she tells does. her story of how she, yeah. Oh, she doesn't tell that yet though. I know. Oh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the final chapter of this section and we're, right, we're I rocketing towards it. We um, sure are. But anyway, back to the Lotus Pond. Uh, but yeah, he, he describes watching Tom put that innocent mask back on as watching a crocodile submerge in a nature movie. You knew that Crocodile was planning an attack, but you didn't know when. And like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. So he doesn't kidnap the dog yet. Then he kidnaps the dog because Senator Mendoza's like, that thing fucking stinks. Go give it a bath. Go put it in the room. I don't care. I don't want to be around it anymore. And so he, he uses some raw hamburger. He steals some laudanum and gets some raw hamburger and feeds it to, feeds it to Furball. And I had kept like going back to be like, wait, where is it describing that he's putting laudanum in the thing? And it doesn't. He didn't. It does. And yeah, later no, he I didn't. find out, like, he didn't even use the laudanum at all. He just had it as, like, an emergency sedative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't have to use it because uh, Furball just went to sleep. Um, I mean, first off, it's a psycho thing to, like, you know, like, hey, I want to make I want to make up with my friend who might think I'm a freak. So what I'm going to do is hold her dog hostage. Especially after she's already said, oh, hi, I can't talk now. Um, I'll talk to you later. Not get the fuck away from me. I know, I know what I'll do. I'll take her dog hostage so she has to speak with me. Then she'll realize that I'm not a crazy person. I'm good. I mean, I'm sure he learned that on TV. I'm sh- yeah, he's a- uh, Yeah, Miles said yeah. the telenovelas were his-, his <laughs> Yeah. Or that, what was the, what was the, what was the, the guy spy he went to show. after uh, the Black Whip? Yeah, he went to the spy show. Oh, yeah, he's El, doing- Segundo, mm-hmm. El Segundo Sombra. Yeah. Or Don yeah, Segundo yeah. Sombra. I yeah. Turns out, I looked these up. They're, they're real shows. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. I thought they were made like El, El Atigo Negro and Segundo Sombra. They were actual shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I, don't remember I was be- wondering if he was yeah. like listening to the old, like the phantom radio shows. I mean, pretty much. It's around the same era, I believe. Um, yeah. yeah. I know there's a flying nun. I didn't remember if there was a flying priest show, but I knew there was a flying nun. Um, but yeah, he leaves a, he leaves a ransom note and he signs it with his fucking name, like an idiot. Um, I'll tell you where your dog meet me by the lotus pond at midnight and I'll tell you where your dog is Matt P.S. don't tell anyone or you'll never see him again Matt that's not that's not how this works that's not how making friends works Matt I don't know I, I think this it's this, so weird this is I think full this child could be like, logic this is full mm-hmm. child it's logic. full child logic it's, I think, it's in, also I think the, oh. in, in a softer context I think this could be kind of cute about like he 
This is not like, I'm going to give laudanum to the dog and sneak it out to the pool house. It's more like, I'm going to leave Reese's Pieces trail to, like, give the, to, like, get the dog to come with me. And then, like, I'll just hang out with the dog until she's just like, what? Why did I come all the way out here? If if the stakes were really low, this mm-hmm. would be cute. But unfortunately, Almost. it does not pan out like that. Because nothing yeah. in this world is uh, so gentle and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. whimsical yeah so as like we find he's... out oh, sorry um, no you you say okay um as he says he's as he said earlier you know if they already think you're bad when you're a clone i mean what's the point in being good yeah if if you're if you existing by your very nature makes you bad what's the point in being good and that's you know i think the most it's a really interesting question Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the most, like, that is the line to this book that, like, is lends an understanding of, like, what class stratification and social perceptions does to a fucking child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be seen as bad no matter what, why should I try to overcome that stigma? And you know what? Honestly, in a book with as much, like, as much present Catholicism as there is in this book, like, that would be the easy route out for uh answering why be good well because if you're good like that's what that's what you know the virgin mary wants you to do the virgin mary wants you to be good but that's not the answer that's not the answer that's presented for him in many instances because they straight up say you don't have a soul you're like an animal so like you can't go to heaven anyway yeah it's in in this social dynamic where even trying to be better is a detriment to your ability to survive. And he is in survival mode. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's it's really interesting to look at this now as an adult and how it kind of shaped my personal philosophies of like, yeah, the, the reason he finds to be good is because he wants to be good to the people around him. His reason for being so, good is because he wants to be a, he wants to be a good person. He wants to be good, so he will be. So it becomes really visibly important to track uh, Mateo's, like, emotional and ethical journey because even though he's constantly compared to El Patron on a genetic level, as being identical on a genetic level, his experiences are what shape him. So to see how his experiences shape his moral structure and his goals and the world he wants to uh, reproduce around him is going to be distinctly different from El Patron. El Patron was the product of his environment in a heavy way, and we are seeing, uh, we, we, we don't exactly know El Patron's environment that shaped him, but we are seeing day by day, year by year, Mateo's environment with the same genetic code. This is a really like, this is, book is a really good argument for nurture over nature because you're seeing someone with the exact same genetic code having a completely different uh, upbringing, and you're going to see the differences in how that changes the adult that they become. Yeah, and well, maybe, uh, but maybe <laughs> unless it's one of those uh, like prophecy problems where like he does find himself hopelessly falling back into the same patterns of his progenitor. I mean, the book ends when he's fourteen, uh, but I I said maybe in whether or not he becomes an adult. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm sorry, I. I dug ahead oh, um, yeah. just to the uh, the big, like, chapter groupings names where it's, like, old age is him, like, a 
to the age of 16 or something, and I'm like, oh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah old, old age is him to 14. Old age is him to 14. Yeah, we're in the clone. middle age section right now, which is 7 to 11. Oh. Yeah. That sucks. That yep. Suck. It's not good. Uh, but... <laughs> oh, Christ. But, yeah, uh, so he gets caught, and everyone's like, what the fuck, you killed the dog, why would you do this? Um, no, I didn't! And he, like, yells at Senator Mendoza, why would I hurt her? I love her. And, like, he can see the gears turning of Senator Mendoza wanting to kill him, but know that he, knowing that he can't. And, like, Tam Lin even straight up says, hey, I'm leaving, um, I expected better from you. Yeah, but maybe I was that. wrong to expect better uh. from you. Because and this is from the child perspective where, like, you're, you, the reader, are with the child's perspective where you're like, I know the truth. But you can also see why there's no reason for anyone to believe his perspective. Absolutely. And you're like, oh, it's so frustrating. It's so fucking frustrating. He even straight the up truth... says the evidence against him is overwhelming. Because it it's is. one of those. Because he left it a is. signed ransom note saying, if you don't come, you'll never see him again. Oh, God, it's one of those infuriating things where, like, you know, justice eludes you. Yeah. Logically so, it does. It eludes you um, because of the circumstances. And it just, oh, it drives you crazy because you're like, no, he didn't deserve that. <laughs> it was misguided. It was a fucked up weird thing to do to even think like, I'll kidnap the dog. But like, he didn't, you, you know that he didn't want to kill it. Yeah. Um, and Matt actually reflects later. He said, Tamlin called Matt a human and expected more from him and humans right. Matt realized were a lot harder to forgive than animals. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's And he he'd get frustrated too because they'd forgive him for whenever he'd make Maria would forgive him whenever he'd make uh, her upset, but she also forgave Furball just as quickly. Because because she sees him as an animal. Yeah. Um, was that the line from Tamlin any rat in a sewer uh. can lie? It's how rats are, but a human doesn't run and hide in dark places because he's something more. Like, yeah, he calls a lie the most personal act of cowardice there is. And he's right, but yeah. like, with with you, the reader, sharing the perspective of Mateo, you're just like, but I'm not lying! <laughs> yeah. But I'm not lying! Oh my god. But you can't... Yeah. No. But you also understand everybody around him, like, having the different perspective. It's really tough. Yeah. It's a big goddamn moral quandary it's really difficult oh and matt matt also is he's crying and it specifically says he made no sound he had learned that safety lay in silence but he couldn't stop the tears like okay one <sighs> tying it back to his earlier trauma like good job but also if you are a kid who tends to cry a lot um and you are a deeply unhappy child you learn quickly how to hide how to hide the fact that you are or have been crying. I learned early that if you cry into your pillowcase and let that absorb the tears quickly, that keeps your eyes from getting puffy because they don't like sit there. Um, it's not a good thing that I know that, no, but it's something, something I knew. Wait, I thought it wasn't. I thought it wasn't the tears that make your face puffy, but like the inflammation of generating the tears. All I know is it worked. When you cry into a pillow. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah, but then she starts to talk to... He, Matt starts to talk to Celia about El Patron, and she's like, yeah, there's a secret storeroom under the ground. El Patron wants to be buried in it with all of his shit. Um, 
Yeah, El Patron thinks a person belongs to him the same way a house or car or statue does. He wouldn't let that person go any more than he'd throw away money. It's why he wouldn't allow Felicia to escape. It's why he keeps everyone under his control so he can call them back in an instant. He'll never let McGregor have Tom, even though he can't stand the boy. Do Do you and Tam Lynn belong to El Patron? Celia flinched. Caramba, the questions you ask. Um, and then she starts to tell the story of how she came to work there. Um, she worked in a factory in Aztlan, um, and they had, like, bars on the windows to keep the, to keep the kids from running away out of the factory, um, which sounds like it could be lifted from directly our time already. Um, no one, uh, but yeah, they- they knew that under the glow of the United States was the most wonderful place. Everyone had his own house and garden. Everyone wore beautiful clothes and ate only the best food. And no one worked more than four hours a day. The rest of the time, people flew around in hovercrafts and went to, went to parties. Come on. Are you serious? I wish. No way. Yeah. Even, hey, in, even, in in a fantastic, even in a fantastical future, American labor practices? No fucking way. Well, no. They diverted all their labor practices to opium. All the labor is done by Egypts. All the mm-hmm. labor is done by Egypts. So yeah, no one works more than four hours a day because that's the time they spend issuing orders to the Egypts. Um, and she even says, I guess it's too good to be true. Like, yep, yep. Uh, but then she starts to work for, uh, she starts to work in the kitchen with an old curandera, uh, a healing woman. And she taught me all kinds of things. It's like, ooh, ooh, all right. All right, we're getting into some uh, some naturalistic medicine here. Let's go. Let's go. Um, Witchcraft. She's a bruja. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she met a coyote. Uh, you pay him and he helps you get to the United States. Only first you have to cross the farms. Those people don't help you go anywhere. They lead you straight to the farm patrol. And like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know yeah, what? Which is why I said this is, of course, a CIA op. The farm is America's immigration policy. The farm is absolutely America's immigration policy. That's why it's allowed to exist. The mm-hmm. the yeah. reason the 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 reason the U.S. does not care, uh, like gave up land to the nation of opium, up is because Tex- look, opium think, think became about it. their immigration Texas, policy. Texas mm-hmm. gave up land. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Which do yeah. they? Which matters more? How much they like their land, or how much they hate brown people? Yep, and it's America, so it's the second one. Um, but yeah, not a slight against all Texans, but fucking foreign policy. Yeah, it it's a slight against American foreign policy to be sure, because yeah. we don't give a shit about illegal immigration from Canada. Mm-hmm. You know what we're not hearing any bit of in uh, Mateo's at this point uh, understanding of the country of opium and El Patron and the way that this shit operates is the amount of money flowing through it let alone just straight up like quantity of opium but like mm-hmm. well because all that the, money goes to el patron's underground right bunker el patron is building himself a dragon horde yep to um, a certain extent but like on, on a geopolitical landscape there has to be like a lot more that this place is paying out to yeah absolutely but i would wager that's all done at his other house in the mountains yeah, somewhere else. Not here. At his little simulation of a farm that he would have wanted to have grown up on. Oh my god, the, the fucking... The house in the mountains comes into play in the sequel, and it's so fucking dumb. It's it's just dumb. There's there's a second clone there. Oh, there's, okay. a second, yeah. there's a second clone there that's like, 
Matt's evil version because he was oh. gro- he was being groomed to actually take over and like yeah look I'm not go- I'm not gonna read this sequel right yeah. now because from it's... everything I've heard tonight it seems like it was sort of as an award winning you know children's speculative sci fi novel I think our author was pressured into providing the sequel to expand this story but I'm treating House of the Scorpion as a standalone. For the sake of this podcast. That's and realistically, it should have been. We talked in previous episodes about sequels that make the series worse by association and like yeah. drag down the series by existing. And yeah, The Lord of Opium is is not a good sequel. It does not bring anything positive to the franchise. Why would you title it like that? We know who The Lord of Opium is. <laughs> yeah, it's El Patron. Yep. El Patron is The Lord of Opium. Uh, he is the principal character in the sequel. Um, Ugh. But, yeah, so so El Patron finds Celia's group of immigrants. He's like, oh, hey, your accent is familiar. Where are you from? And she happens to be from the same hometown as him. So he said, hmm, all right, I like you. And from that point on, she, be, she worked for him. And Yeah, that's a one-way ticket out of lobotomization station. From that moment on, I belonged to Al Patron. I'll always belong to him. He'll never let me go. Um, And, yeah, what happened to the other people who crossed the border? Them, they were all turned into Well, you know. And she refused to say any more about it. And that's where we ended our section for this episode. Christ. uh, There's a lot to discuss. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, um predictions for where things are going to go what are we thinking okay i i already know this i didn't even i didn't even see a spoiler of this we're going to encounter rosa again yep she's gonna be in egypt and there's gonna be like oh is that where egypt's come from like people who cross el patron and it's like well yeah kind of and then a bunch of other reasons they end up you know lobotomized but yeah essentially yeah yeah, and then he's gonna be like, "Oh well, I hated her, but like, I don't know. This is kind of fucked." Yeah, it. Her appearance. Yeah, you're you're fucking right. She she shows up. She's in Egypt, and um, her appearance does cause him to call into questions things he's accepted. Um. Yep. I. Hmm. It's gonna be an expansive layer of empathy for like, look, I'm a clone. I understand I'm discriminated against as a clone, so I have some empathy for clones. But then there's also Egypts, who deserve more empathy than they're given as I deserve more empathy than I was given as a clone. It could be like a good moment for him to you know, have a broader understanding of humanity than society has, you know, laid out for him. Mm-hmm. I will yeah. say I love his interaction uh, slash interactions with Rosa in the parts of the books that in parts of the book that we're going to read uh, for next episode. Um, I guess my predictions aren't quite i was i was thinking tom would be discovered to be a clone but yeah now not so sure um he's definitely a real but maybe we'll find out that mcgregor has other plans for his bastard child i mean you know because i'm still pretty confident he was talking about harvesting from tom Mm -hmm. hey look here's wait here's the next layer of it tom's not a clone i'm still gonna harvest organs from tom yeah I would not put it because McGregor's McGregor. like that. Mm-hmm. McGregor's like that. McGregor will be harvesting these organs from Tom. 
I don't um, and it's cool. like but I, he's not a clone be like uh yeah but he's my weird bastard child <laughs> so i want them organs so um, i want to die so something i forgot at the birthday party el patron is given a lot of like crazy ass weapons including yeah. like micro bombs that can be programmed oh against God. a specific person absolute and, like, murder drone technology mm-hmm. the farm patrol is fucked up the farm patrol is real fucked um it's just pure totalitarian like there is no hope you mm-hmm. obey or you are just murdered instantly that's it yeah um, i but, do yeah one of my other predictions was going to be that matt is being groomed to be the heir but no, yeah I'm tossing that one but um i'm thinking mcgregor's going to try and pos- like he seems weirdly envious of matt like he may try and possess him or something i don't know or i mean to our knowledge mcgregor doesn't have an heir yeah and yeah i i can't help but you know wonder if think? all these weapons are being brought up so that you know they'll be used eventually oh my god they they planted if these are Chekhov's guns they planted some like big complex Chekhov's guns in like one paragraph yep there, like a bunch of like high-tech assassination machines there is definitely just like weapon use. mentioned offhandedly there's a reason i say the farm patrol is fucked up Oh boy. I'm sure it is just um, a. Uh, oh, what did that uh, lobotomized human stop working for a second? Boop, and the drone just like, bah, quick little like, you know, dart a dart in the neck. You're dead. Mm-hmm. Christ. Man, this this is a really good book, and it is dark as heck, but really good. How far are we Which, reading for the next one? Uh, for the, the next end. one, we no, not to the end. Um, if we oh, went no. to the end, we'd be reading an additional like 250 pages, I think. Oh. Um, so I thought I was totally halfway through my book that I have. Um, not quite. No, it's got about it's got close to 400 pages in it. Um, okay. Uh, so our original plan was to read through old age and age 14. Um, so up through page 258. Okay. Okay. Um, out of 380 some. Yeah, Thank so, you everybody for listening yeah, this through, week to the through chapter two, through chapter twenty-five, the Farm Patrol. Okay. Oh, I don't even want to think about what the Farm <laughs> Patrol might be. Right. <laughs> it's so grisly. Thank everybody for enduring uh, the moral nightmare of the On Air Book Fair podcast this week. We'll be back next time with uh, the with the next section of House of the Scorpion up to Miles. What was it again? Uh, chapter. Chapter 25, Farm Patrol. Uh, it's, yeah, Chapter 25, Farm Patrol. It ends on page 258. Go to your local library and find the book House of the Scorpion by Nancy Farmer. My God, is it a great read, and it will hurt you in your soul. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, next time if you we would might like even contact... talk about whether we think it's a uh, pro-life or pro-choice book. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be... All right. Well, brace yourself for that discussion. Um, And if you have anything you'd like to say before we sort of delve into that whole thing, you can uh, send an email to onairbookfair at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onairbookfair. Uh, Miles and I also do a podcast uh, with my girlfriend where we talk about tabletop video games. It's called Shootin' the Sheet. Shootin' with an apostrophe sheet like the paper. And uh, we got more projects on the horizon, so keep an eye out for that. Anything else you two would like to plug? Um, um, I want to clarify, it's tabletop role-playing games. Um, not tabletop oh, yeah. video games. Um, Did I say video games? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but 
but also, look, there's I, only oh, one table. There's only one tabletop video game, and it's the uh, Miss Pac-Man machine that would be like you know flat that you would sit at like a coffee table. I, man, I got real far last time I played the like actual arcade cabinet Miss Pac-Man. Um, but uh, no, I think I think this weekend we're recording the first episode of Fun Shot. Oh, nice. I think so too. Where we play through a podcast like where one we, to three yeah. episode or one to three episodes worth of uh, tabletop RPGs because we've all got giant bookshelves full of systems that we haven't played and we want to give them a chance. Uh, the first yeah, one is a game called Ryutama, which Ooh. is uh, very heavily influenced by uh, JRPGs like Final Fantasy. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we're <laughs> Jamie is playing a an old woman who. I believe pole dances on a pole arm. No, um, I didn't say that. You said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> Correct. Okay, you're right. She has a pole arm, and she is the dancer class. Um, and she I has am... a pole arm, but she plays as a bard the, uh, uh, the majube or something. Fuck! It's the African uh, metal plinky plunky thumb playing machine. Oh, you know the marimba? marimba. Marimba. That's that's in... it. Is that the word? Maybe. Or... Is it the marimba? But you know what it no, is. No, not marimba. I'm yeah. in. No, no, Im- oh. Imbira. 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 Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. look, anyway. Um, but yeah, that should be fun. Ryutama takes place in, like, a pastoral, like, Japanese perspective of the European, you know, wilderness where p- these players aren't combat-specific. They're not warriors and, you know, wizards, but they are healers, farmers, musicians. I'm, I'm playing a blacksmith. Artisans. Yeah, artisans. I like the look of this. It's not combat focused. Um, it's interesting. I'm really excited for it. So mm-hmm. we will keep you all abreast of the uh, availability of finding that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've got Ryutama planned. Uh, you're going to run a game of Numenera. Uh, and then after that, I believe our third one on the docket is I'm going to run a game of Sentinel Comics, which is like Silver Age Comics RPG. Nice. Yeah. Like who knows? That's it. Good night, appear. everybody. Hmm? Hmm? Sorry? Huh? I said, who knows? Dan might even appear on a future episode. Who knows? Yes, I'd be happy to. Well, go to your local library. Find that copy of uh, House of the Scorpion. Catch up. Read the whole thing. It could take yeah. you an afternoon. It's really enthralling. I found myself, uh, like, you know, I'm reading it at work. <laughs> you know, I'm reading on the job. And I am just like, oh, I want to get started on this next chapter. Oh, shit. I got the stuff to do. Yeah, I no. I was really struggling not to just continue reading ahead of where we were going to record for today. It's good. It's yeah. a damn good book. She got the awards for it. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Good night.